So I think a good place for us to start, let me just adjust this slightly so I can see my screen, is how I know you, which is came into the MLL, Boston Cannons, played against you, traded to Atlanta, you, I get traded to Atlanta, Yep. we end up roommates, I live on your floor here, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you were kind enough to let me crash here for the whole summer, pretty much, and couldn't have been more hospitable. You lived in a variety of places too, though. You oh were, yeah, so I also lived in a tent outside. Yeah, in, a, in, a, in a car. And the van, on occasion, but prior to that, I didn't really know you that well. I know you from like the player standpoint, but Japan though, right? Uh, so I knew I knew you what, like that. I like halfway knew you because yeah. the the person that you meet on a trip is different than the person that you meet in reality. That's true. And I, I really believe that because I've went on trips with people and and then people tell me their um, like take on the person. I'm like, damn, I did but not. I think though I agree with you, but like usually you're with the person you meet on a trip, especially like Japan, is the best version. Ah, so that's a valid. Point. I think like because usually right when you're on a trip, you're worry free, free, mm-hmm. you're just having fun and doing so. I think that uh, I mean I basically so, haven't stopped taking trips since that one either. So I think <laughs> I'm like locked in, still in like the Japanese mind state. Yeah. But that is fair though, and that's like a ten days. Even still, we were talking about it's like a blur compared to obviously when you lived here and we became teammates and you developed like a exactly so maybe I did know you and that that's a valid point because I, I immediately liked you on that trip and it's not like once I moved in you became a different person yeah I guess once I was in here for long enough to see what you were like in your everyday life then the person that I met in Japan was like okay that's that's yeah. who we're working with yeah um that was like, a, you don't like people necessarily easily, I would say. <laughs> and I remember like at the end of one night, like towards the end of the trip, you gave me like a, you were like, yeah, like a, you're all right. Like, yeah, did it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think that's actually a flaw is like a, a definite flaw of mine is that I'm a little bit too critical of people like that. Um, but yeah, you, pe- you passed the test pretty quickly on that Japan trip. That was an excellent time. And I'm, I'm also, I mean, not that I deserve any credit for it because it's, we were all there because of, you know, working our way up in the lacrosse world and meeting these Japanese players and Sachi, but it's cool that that was part of what sparked your, your new travel bug. For I sure. Mean, you've, it's not like you hadn't traveled before that. No, but it is. You've literally it is. Been, <laughs> That was my first trip ever. Immersion into a foreign culture. That was culture. the first, first stamp my passport I ever got was that trip to Japan. Oh, really? And so I've been now to, I think, 30 countries, and that was the first one, and that was only two or three years ago you've so. been to 30 countries <laughs> since then yeah that, wow. like, I mean that I knew sparked it for sure damn yeah so I get a lot of credit for that okay yeah you just uh. all, all <laughs> the credit. but you but you know you did you got you got in touch obviously with with the people over there and then somehow like Sankey and I right got lucky enough to get the two invites and yeah I think you, you know you see people have gone over there consistently and everybody raves about it it's cool to know that that was really what started it yeah it was the i mean other players have gone over there before but we that was a special trip that was like a big connection with that crowd well and i think with cross cross a which is is, you know now who's been running those trips like that was their first one yeah if you remember there's a lot they probably maybe could have done differently as far as uh, (laughs) 
maybe not spending so much money on us. <laughs> so I think we were like the trial. We were. I think dogs. I think that's definitely right. We were the trial hounds for them to, um, to learn. Yeah, that that brings up another thing that you were that another reason that I knew you and got to know you is that you used to be a string king pro, but now you're with STX. So yep. shout out STX, the unofficial sponsors of this podcast. <laughs> that's right. We love STX. They're in the PLL, which also you like you bring up the MLL. I was like tempted to be like, what's that? <laughs> um, um, so, you know, but I'm yeah, just with that. another another mingling of our past. Um, right. But to get it to start with some lacrosse stuff, the I mean, I think that at this point, most people in lacrosse know you are because um, you've like not only from because sometimes there can be a conflation of like a big name in the sport and then quality of player. You're both a big you're you're a big name in the sport because you're arguably one of the best long poles out there. Um, but you also haven't missed a game, is that correct? That's correct. So yeah. that's like the opposite of me, pretty much. Like, I'm like every other, like, tweak something. And then, <laughs> so I was always, I always admired your uh, thoroughbred status. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that's always been important to me. And, uh, you know, I did miss games in college. I missed a few games my freshman year, actually, because of suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, if it weren't for in, that. In, so at, at Loyola, yeah. Are you at... Are you, uh, what, what was it? Was it I mean, just, just, you know, getting in trouble, boys doing stuff we boys. shouldn't have in the dorms. Yeah, okay. Learning some, some tough lessons freshman year. So uh-huh. that, that was, that was hard. But if it weren't for that, you know, I'd be able to say through college and pro, I never missed for injury in college. And, mm-hmm. um, my dad, like, never missed a day of school, K, kindergarten through college, never missed a class, never missed a day of school. Really? Um, he did miss games because of injuries. He played at Maryland and he, and, but that was just something he, like, instilled in me I think it was important yeah. to him now I missed a lot of school <laughs> so <laughs> I, didn't, the opposite I didn't get the school part when I was young but uh, I never missed games and I've just been certainly part of its luck but mm-hmm. I also think I've trained hard growing up here in Atlanta you have um, you have access to like there's a lot of there's a culture here of pro athletes coming into off season. there's a lot of trainers that are really high level trainers and um, I was lucky enough at the high school I went to, a lot of those trainers used our facilities and we had well before like a lot of people were doing like, you mm-hmm. know, dynamic training and, and a lot of stretching and things like that. We had trainers that were at our high school with, you know, guys like Ray Lewis and, and people like that out on our field training. So we got exposed to that and I started training in that way um, at a young age and have continued. And I definitely think that's a big part of what's, you know, mm-hmm. helped me to stay healthy. Um, have you, all these years. have you, um, this is just a thought that comes with the fact that you've been exposed to training with like athletes in football or whatever how's your conditioning when put up against these guys in other sports it feels like your your particular position maybe soccer would be a sport where the the like the wind quality would have to compare but you don't run that much more than a long stick medium definitely and so you know i've I've I'm lucky enough through these trainers to get to train with guys in the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, things mm-hmm. like that. And I would say my conditioning generally is better than, than most of them now. I like to hear that. Not necessarily. A lot of them are maybe quicker. Most uh-huh. of them are bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm certainly not trying to say I'm the most athletic one in there. But as far as mm-hmm. endurance goes, you know, the football players are the worst. I mean, they... It's such a burst. They take sport. a break after every set or yeah. every drill we do. And, and that's because that's what they're used to. And, 
it's not, I guess, you know, when you have 45 seconds in between each play, uh-huh. you may be running three plays in a row at a time. Like, it's just not valued the same way with them. Yeah. Um, the best, though, the guys that, that push me the hardest are the basketball players. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, because... You know, that's an up and... And there's a few basketball players in there that, that beat me on a regular basis, mm-hmm. endurance-wise. So that's... I try to get in the workouts with those guys as much as I can because I think it translates better because basketball players also are playing offense, playing defense, and running the whole time. So they value the cardio. And mm-hmm. then they also do things going forward and backwards and side to side. Where football, if you're with receivers, they're doing everything ah. forward. If you're training with D-backs, you're doing everything backwards. So I'll typically go with the cornerbacks or the safeties. Yeah. But I also like, you know, you're picking up ground balls. I'm clearing. I dodge some. So yeah. I like to get both, you know, to try to train both in my workouts. Yeah, so basketball, I think, translates the best for that. 100%. Yeah. I feel like you, you, the equivalent of you in football would be like a cornerback who got a pick on like every other play do you know what I mean I, I, like yeah going well just how often yeah. you go back and sure. forth it yeah. can't be replicated in yeah. football and that's what I tell like kids too when they train I'm like if you and this works better in Georgia because mm-hmm. the culture of football is, is and, and football training Scott's dog is uh, yeah, Leo's, Leo's introducing himself into, yeah. into the podcast he's normally a good boy but he's getting into something well yeah still being a good boy <laughs> yeah he's incapable of bad correct um, anyway though I'll tell him like if you're a close defenseman in lacrosse mm-hmm. to me that's like a linebacker and I think you look uh, at a guy like Tucker Durkin or Matt Dine you know you, the it's a lot it's a lot of shuffling it's a lot of mm-hmm. physical play of standing guys up at goal line things like that I think if you're a D midi or an LSM that's more like playing corner you're dealing with dodges that aren't going left to right you and, and back down style dodges you're dealing with guys running at you like a receiver so backpedaling and then opening up and turning and running so when I like meet with these trainers a lot of times that's you know they don't maybe, yeah. maybe know lacrosse that's kind of how I explain that's, what I that's do. Like, smart though yeah you know what I mean like, and it's fun like in the drills we do you know sometimes they're, they're throwing footballs or like I'm backpedaling against receivers and it's just nice it keeps it interesting to train mm-hmm. like you're training for a different sport instead of just like you know there's a lot of lacrosse already in our lives like it's nice to just like yeah, away from it, yeah. You know, a little bit. Laxed Cross train, sure. Um, another question that's pop- uh, I forget who I asked. I asked some other person that I had a chat with about with the growth of the sport and it becoming like if you're if the top athletes are coming in to play lacrosse, right? It's like what is a you think a, a close D guy is going to look like a linebacker? Do you think like do you think there's always going to be room for like the smaller, more you know? unique nuanced athlete yeah i think so i think you like have a need for all these different things in lacrosse right like we were talking about with close defense i mean i think the perfect if you're going to build one like you're going to build a guy like tucker Mm -hmm. who you know is i don't know that necessarily for every guy on the field being that tall is an advantage Mm because a lot of attackmen are short and you've got to change direction quick and and you'll get get called with the push in the bat yeah right so but i think if you've got you know, one guy who is like that sort of build that can move their feet well, that can play low and is really strong, and then you've got another guy who is rangy, who can, you know, cover a lot of space, who's tall, who can guard off ball well, you know, and, and then maybe somebody that's a hybrid of it too. Like that's how you're gonna build yeah. perfect defense. So that's what's so cool about lacrosse is there's there's room for that like elite absurd athlete, but then there's also you're still always gonna need players that can fill other roles too because at the end of the day there's one probably go-to dodging attackman on most teams and one or two go-to dodging middies and then everybody else on the field whether you're offense or defense you're playing off ball mm-hmm. which is a different yeah. skill set and you're right like a, the six foot four like dyna- like crazy good athlete probably shouldn't guard like Joey Sankey yes. because he's going to get called for a hit in the head or a push every time right. so it's like a- the, the best defenses I've played on have always had that balance of 
guys that can cover in different ways. And like I look at even my team right now on the archers, and it's like probably my, you know one of my favorite rope units I've ever played with you know, since college with a guy Mark McNeil and Dominic Alexander, and they're both really big, really strong. Yeah. So where you know I'm smaller and, and quicker probably. So when we go against other midfielders, instead of you know typically it's like the LSM's going to guard the best midi, and, and obviously you do want to do that. The advantage of the long pull is helpful, but we're able to just look at them and say, okay, the bigger, stronger guys, Neek and Moose match up with mm-hmm. really well, and the, and the, the quicker guys are the shooters, the better off ball players. You put Rat on with the long pull, mm-hmm. and you have more success that way. And it yeah. takes sometimes as an LSM, it takes swallowing your pride and being like, hey, maybe I don't need to guard Miles Jones because yeah. Dominique's got thirty <laughs> pounds on me, and it's just it's, yeah, it's, it's like just physics, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, up. so uh, that's something that, like, as I've gotten older, I've uh-huh. learned to like see it that way and yeah. become more of a team player and recognize, like, for a great team defense, it really is its roles. If yeah. you have the right pieces, more mm-hmm. so than the talent necessarily. Yeah. Well, one thing that I was like, I would say about going from playing against you to with you, I think, and this is a good problem to have, is you're so good at offense that I think people forget how good you are at defense. Like, when I was playing in New York and you were in Boston or anytime we played against you, that's what watch Ratliff in transition. You know, he'll bring it up. But people didn't say, like, he's going to probably guard our best midi. And, you know what I mean? It's like your skill on the offensive end overshadowed how good you are at D. But then once I st- I played, you never guarded me in a – there might have been times where you ended up on me, I think. But in an actual, like, prolonged – me versus you thing that didn't happen until I went to Atlanta and I was like this guy's pretty good yeah and that's certainly like that's that's something that I have a chip on my shoulder about uh-huh. like I've felt my whole career going back to college and whether I'm right about it or not it mm-hmm. helps me to think that people underrate my ability to play defense and and I think that's part of it it's not mm-hmm. the, the first thing people want to point out is what I can do on offense but I didn't you know it, it, certainly in college you know, I, I made a name for myself on defense far before mm-hmm. I got good on offense. Like the ability on offense, really, I think. And, and I started scoring more in college, but mm-hmm. getting into the pros and you just hit that certain point where you've had a stick in your hands for so long. I think I really took like another leap on the offense side of the ball. But uh, obviously, uh, um, you know, I've always liked to try to have the ability to do both. Yeah. And, and I think in certain games, the team needs certain things, and that's what's cool about that rope unit LSM D midi position is. You know, you've got to you, you you can affect the game in different ways, and it's fun to try to figure out. You know, is this a game where it's a lot of six on six defense and yeah. it's get dialed in and it's win a matchup, or is this a game where we're having trouble scoring and we need to try to get up the field and run? And so, like, I like that part of it. I think it Definitely. keeps the game fun for me. And it's also the people who are, and I was one of them because I wasn't on your team. The people that who are, who are not mentioning your defense because you're so good at offense. It's not a product of like. Well, you're so much better. We're just misinformed. <laughs> I mean, that's what. Yeah. Because you you watch highlights, and there's not exactly the highlight of a guy dodging down the alley, and you play perfect defense, and he throws it on. Right. The highlight is oh, okay. Scott can score and feed and stuff like that. So, when I when I came onto your team and you did that, it wasn't like oh he. It was like, oh, this is what this dude has been doing all along. And, and I mean? think, you know, that the PLL has helped with that. And, mm-hmm. and it's, raised, it's raised the level, I think, of, of team defense. Because there was, I mean, there was a time, like, when you're young and you come into pro lacrosse and you're trying to figure out how to make money doing this, <laughs> the only way you're going to get any attention is scoring goals. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're no, no defensemen are getting sponsorships or getting, That's... you know. So it's hard. As much as everybody wants to say, like, I'm unselfish and I'm just worried about the team, like, it's hard 
to not look at that and be like, you know, I need to make pl- create plays and things like that. Where I think now we've gotten to the point and the exposure level where it really it, it's it's just a higher level. The expectations are higher, and you have to you've got to focus on winning and whatever that takes for your team, mm-hmm. um, or else it will be seen because the games are broadcasted at a higher level. You can see what's going on, and I think there's a lot of really smart people paying attention and covering pro lacrosse now and telling the stories of what's going on out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like something that's really good for the sport and has been really good is that those stories are getting told a little bit better now. Yeah. It, 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 you bring up a good point about the fact that like being a long pole midi that's capable of going O or D, you have like a unique like game plan each game. You know what I mean? Like if I'm an attackman, I'm always going to play offense. And if I'm going against Tucker Durkin, my plan changes because I'll probably do worse, but maybe I'll move it along, but I'm still on offense. The, the kind of tweaking of your game, literally, it's like, well, I'm going to play more offense this game. I'm right. going to go in that direction more, which is a unique... And d Middies obviously, in, as a general... Yeah, I think it's the same thing uh-huh. for, for most of them. But that's just... A lot of times, that's game plan, or that's... But hold on. Before go you go, it's not most of them, because most of them don't have the offensive prowess that you have. So it opens up that the fact that you can literally play man up or guard the best guy gives you the your compass is so much wider than yep. because let's not give D Middies too much credit. <laughs> I would never <laughs> do that. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think there's a handful of guys that have that two way ability, uh-huh. um, and so that's that's a fair point. But it's it's. There's certain games where you go in and you say, like, okay, we can run on this team or things like that. But mm-hmm. m- most of it is just a feel a feel in the game, mm-hmm. you know. And, and certainly this year, I mean, you go into every game and you have a game plan defensively. Mm-hmm. Like, as a long stick mid or a d- defensive midfielder, that is your priority, right? And we talked about football. Like, I've always compared an LSM or a deep hole scoring a goal to, like, a pick six. It's like, not only do you get the goal, but you get this kind of emotional jump uh-huh. from it as well, from yeah. a defensive player making a play and, yeah. and doing that. You're stealing one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I look at it in that way, but it's not like an NFL corner goes into the game, like, game planning to figure out how to get a pick six. It's yeah. like you game plan to play defense, uh-huh. and you hope that great defense creates you know, transition situations. And then obviously the face-off X is another place where mm-hmm. if you've got the right personnel or maybe they have a face-off guy who doesn't like to get in the hole and play D and subs yep. a lot, then you know, okay, we can look for some chances here. So basically but most it's a, face-off guys? Yeah, yeah, most, yeah. <laughs> Not all of them, but no. most. No, I mean, Trevor Baptiste Yeah, I mean, and that's, there, there's a breed at the, you know, at the top with Baptiste, with Nardella, um, you know, my teammate. He's Bones, playing in Bones the NLL Kelly. right now. Yeah, he is. Um, Jake Withers is another guy. Like, there's, oh yeah, you know, he's... there's a, a good amount now that are out there that I've, that's are like complete half, players. If if those are the uh, pres- could be potentially faceoff guys in the PLL, that's like half the league. Right. So maybe it is shifting towards guys who are. Yeah, I think it is, and mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to see. Like, you, the faceoff is so polarizing, and people, you know, mm-hmm. hate on it. Um, but I do think like they're like I just mentioned those guys. Are at, at the top are setting an example of like the right way to play that position. Like yeah. Trevor Baptiste or Joe Nardella's cutting, like you have, you don't think twice. You're feeding them. Like they yeah. both can catch, can uh-huh. shoot. Yeah. They both can get in and play D athletically enough, as good as most Omidys can. Yeah. is what we'll say. So that's like playing with those guys is a blast, and I think the faceoffs a great part of the game with guys like that. Exactly, those guys make it less polarizing, Correct. right? It's like there's not much to argue about with those. Like they're they play in the NLL, right? These guys are talented lacrosse players. I think where it becomes polarizing is where it's so specialized that these that a player can't play right another position. So may, maybe that's 
And it's just when, when, for whatever reason, it seems like there's, and and I think this has been a bigger problem in college across, Mm -hmm. where it seems like there's one or two guys that just nobody can beat. Yeah. And that's a weird thing. And obviously, Grinlian had a year like that in the MLL, where Mm -hmm. he just went and, you know, 80-something percent. And, like, it does just seem a little strange when that's happening, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you got a championship. (laughs) That's really nice. Thanks, thanks, buddy. (laughs) Um, But, like, it's, you know, Trevor was obviously like that in college and then right into TD who's like that. And Uh, I think that creates part of it. But when you get into the pros, like, that doesn't happen really. It doesn't. These guys can all, like, beat each other up. Yeah, the great. And also the rules were different. You could keep it in the back of your stick, which made a big difference. Oh, yeah. Because when he's got to flip it over, then wings have chances to get involved. And obviously he's still great. But, like, it it, It, it brings you back to the mean a little bit. So that that has helped. And, And, like... There wasn't really, I mean, the six guys in the PLL all compete on a pretty even level. And then, and then there's also really good guys in the MLL still, too, that I think can compete at that level. So I think as long as there's parity, you uh-huh. know, that position's in good shape. Um, it is funny that having them take it off the back of their stick made such a drastic yeah. change. All you had to do is make them flip it up and then catch it. Right. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> but, but what that does is like, being you're right, but when you go to flip it, if the if the stick is too pinched, the ball doesn't come out. Exactly, and so it, it makes cha- you adjust like in different ways. Definitely, or whatever, it's like right? a. It, but it can rattle a guy's world, like Greg, because he's just so good at winning the clamp. That, exactly. Yeah, and he still was great beyond that. But that year was like yeah, a crazy yeah, year. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you use a shorter stick, and a shorter stick. Like how how much shorter of a long pole do you use? Um, Are you still doing that? Yeah, I'm still doing it. I did it last year. I'm like debating on what my plan is next year, but I don't have it like a perfect science. I just kind of feel it just, out with each stick. Does it matter much? Like if someone hands you a stick that's longer, you like can't use this? No, no. And like the be- probably the best pro season I've, I've ever had in, you know, or at least statistically in 2015, my third year with the Cannons, we had a really good team. We lost you. Scored, we lost you. Yeah, I remember um, that. I used a full length stick that year. Mm-hmm. So like I I don't you know, that was a, a piece of advice from Jamie Monroe and it was something that, that made sense to me. Like he talked about make my stick proportional to my body the way Brody's is to his body. Yeah. Which like anytime you're gonna mention Brody to to an L S M it's like, Okay, I'm in, I'll do yeah. it that. So and, and I felt like it's helped on ground balls, just having a little less stick. When ground balls are right at your feet, you just have a little more control. Mm-hmm. You can protect the stick better. Like I can cradle one handed with the stick vertical and feel like I can protect it where when it's too long then it's like I, you have to start angling it yeah. or else it's going to hit the ground mm-hmm. so like there's little places where I notice it um, do you, does it do you ever feel like it takes away from being able to throw that check only if there? I like you know again because I'm so just like I'm just going to kind of cut it here like mm-hmm. I have cut a few of them maybe a little shorter <laughs> than I it's a total non-science. <laughs> it is, right? So, like, there's been a few where I'm like, okay, this is the spot where it's a little too short. But, like, uh, I'm chasing a stick or something, and I can't get there. Gotcha, yeah. So, but I think I found, like, the sweet spot, and I'm not cutting much off of it. I'm, you know, I'm cutting mm-hmm. an inch or two inches max yeah. off of it, and that that feels right, and it's yeah. helpful. And if so, you go too short, you, people might think you're a D-Midi, so you get yeah. kind of a, a tough or line Or, in my case, they'll think I'm an O-Midi. <laughs> That's a valid response. Like, because I'll play, like, like, I play in Hawaii, and uh-huh. I cut it like it's short. Like when you, when you, if you were to get here's a just a, a whim question because I'm curious. Do you think that if someone handed you a short stick that you'd be pretty good at O mid? Yeah, I look awkward with it. 
I think I could be effective, mm-hmm. but I don't know that. But I that's could. that's all that matters. That's right? all that matters. There's plenty of guys out there that's who right. it's like, how is he good? Because I played, you know, with a short stick most of my childhood until probably like consistently switched to deep hole, like really my junior year of high school. But then senior year, I was back playing shorty, mm-hmm. and I cradled with my, my dad was a defenseman, and I cradled with my hands at the bottom of the stick. So like my stick protection wasn't great. Like instead of like tucking my stick, uh-huh. I would like flail out away from my body, which with a long pole that works because you can't like tuck a long pole. Yeah. So that's where like my stick work can be awkward, but I think I I can catch and finish inside as good as a lot of offensive mm-hmm. players can. So like that part of my game, and then I think I'm athletic enough to draw slides on shorties, things like that. But mm-hmm. I struggle. I would struggle dodging against long poles because I just don't have very good stick protection mm-hmm. fundamentals or whatever. They'd be so rattled to see you out there. Though. And I don't have a good outside shot either with the short pole. Like yeah, well, trust you me, you can succeed with without pole. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> what What's the rat? You had pet rats growing up. So yeah. there's a you are Teddy. Scott Ratliff, aka Rat, who grew up with a bunch of rats in your house. Yeah, when I was young, we just. I think my parents just leaned into that nickname, and then like mm-hmm. it turns out, is that did it? Pre- is that why? Well, my dad was like called like he, he played college across in Maryland, so he was he, right in that last name culture. So that I think they called him Ratman. Really? In college. So, so I, like, I saw a video on on I went on your Twitter today, just yeah. doing some research, and I saw a video of him doing some you know risky, unfundamental over yeah, the head. And I was like, guys, <laughs> <laughs> that's where he got it. So so yeah, so they to shout said, out your dad. Yeah, Randy. So anyway, he we had the rats and like they're mm-hmm. they're good pets for little kids. They they don't bite. They kind of they're not like sewer rats. Like our rat Tabby, our f- family favorite rat, was white with like spots, you mm-hmm. know, and was like cute. And the tails are kind of gross. But we had them till like probably like when I was like really young. Like I was three years old when we first started getting rats, and then mm-hmm. we moved we moved on to chinchilla. I had a chinchilla, <laughs> which that was probably like when I was like twelve. Mm-hmm. I upgraded, and then from the chinchilla, we finally got to Snickers, my mm-hmm. first dog. Yeah, I'm so. not gonna lie, I kind of want to get a rat. What's the? I uh, yeah. I told how you often I was, do I have to feed the little guys? I don't remember. I mean, I, like I told you, I was, you know, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten. So I wasn't. Yeah, you just pet them and did none of the work. Yeah, I have no idea, but I think they're similar. Like you know, you said you had guinea pigs. I think they're similar we to had dozens of guinea yeah, pigs in our basement. I told you if you <laughs> open the basement door, like the minute it cracked open, reek, 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 and then you shut it, yep. and they'd be silent. They're kind of like rats with no tails. Yeah, and but people would like freak out about rats. Like you have rat, but then when they'd come eat it, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I think it was a good parenting move because people just like, and this didn't happen until I got to college because kids in the south you know, go to Cotillion, raise with manners, call each other by our first names. Mm-hmm. But then you get to Loyola and everybody's just got a nickname and like everybody's throwing around. So I get started getting called Rat and mm-hmm. Ratty, which like isn't maybe the most flattering nickname you could mm-hmm. ever have. But I just think... You made it one. It was like instilled to accept that early on. I had mm-hmm. pet rats, my dad was Rat Man, and so I was just like... It all added up. Be Rat, yeah. And then Master Splinter was a great rat in cinema so i was able to lean into <laughs> i was able to lean into him it was like a little mentor. side fact yeah. <laughs> yeah you gotta find the good rats out yeah. there that you can like buy into <laughs> so that's been my journey wow you thought rats. about this yeah um so it's <clears throat> it's the off season for you for the pll the pll the first pll season like from all objective measurements seem to it is a success and you guys seem like you're liking it what are you doing in the off season like what is your i mean i know a little bit but I'm, I'm, people will be interested like what what does your life look like the day the season ends yeah well you went on that trip yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that so you went to yeah I went to Europe for right, three weeks yeah, so we'll come back to that sure, because, sure. But, but, but my life chills out so you know I've I've obviously been doing this long enough where 
especially before lacrosse wasn't your full-time job that I, you know I, I've got um, some different things I coach club lacrosse here in Atlanta um, I coach a high school team but that's only in the spring so my mm-hmm. fall is like probably my least busy time of the year we have a few club lacrosse things here and there I do some lessons and stuff but uh, the biggest thing I lean into is is I do work in leadership development work with my mom um, or I, I guess I work sometimes with her in the corporate space and then I also run programs myself for like local athletes and mm-hmm. right now primarily lacrosse players I've worked with a couple high school basketball teams and, and um, athletes from other sports as well um, so it's certainly not like full time job sort of status for me that's you know here and there when I can you know set up seminars or set up talks um, but a lot of my time now is spent training like this off season and that's part of what the PLL has done um, obviously getting a pay raise and, and uh, just getting more visibility out there helps to, to generate more income for yourself off of being a player. And, mm-hmm. and I think I'm not the only guy who has used this as kind of a spark to really like up my level of training. And so I'm spending where I used to wake up, train for an hour and then go work all day, essentially, you know, now I'm, I'm spending about two hours a day training. And then I'm also like, I'm cooking at home and, and mm-hmm. paying more attention to my nutrition. And that's just what you have to do to, to keep your level of play up as you get older. Um, so I've, I've freed up, I've, I've made an effort this off season to keep my schedule as clear as I can and mimic what a professional athlete mm-hmm. in one of the major four sports would look like. So I, I can properly take enough time to take care of my body mm-hmm. and to, you know, eat right and to train the right way, um, to be at top shape. And then again, around that, I fill in with, with coaching and with, with leadership work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like to run on the trails to just comment on that. Cause the, Atlanta's got a bunch of trails and yeah, the city the and the forest. That's what they call it. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love that about Atlanta. Me too. Um, but what, just for people wondering what that is, you go out and you run in, on these woods trails and one yeah. thing, well, just that I, I loved about your training in general in the off season is you said that some teammates have their um, what do you call it like a fit a yeah, fit watch Garmin it's like a Garmin a watch. Garmin watch that tracks their workouts but another kind of upside is that you can see what other people are doing and compare it and you said like I don't want them so I, I want them worried about how mu- how hard I'm going out there that's right and you do you you run a lot in the trails so like what what's the mindset on that yeah that's always just I've felt like. I've always gotten an edge from that. I, you know, I ran cross country when I was young. So the, mm-hmm. the trails I run now, I've been running since I was in fifth, sixth grade. And my parents were big runners. So like when, when I was young, before I had like a choice, they were like, you're going to do cr- track and cross country. And mm-hmm. so I was always a long distance runner. And uh, I, I've just felt that's helped me in lacrosse. I and mean, if you're not the fastest guy in the world in a lacrosse game, it doesn't matter. By the third run, everybody's tired. So mm-hmm. I've always valued being in shape. You know, really high, and, and especially playing midfield in, in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, there's a few reasons I like the trails. One is I think you get obviously you get cardio and endurance. You know, I'll run anywhere from three to seven miles up there, and, and I'll stop and take breaks at different times and things like that. Um, but then you also get you know like explosive power work because there's parts of it that are really steep, and you're like jumping up rocks or jumping over things, and you're running uphill, and so that's gonna that's like explosive work and gonna get you a fast first and second step and then the last part of it is agility so you know there's two types of agility there's 
and, and there's probably different names. I'm not a Mar- Marty Bowes probably could have spoken mm-hmm. better this yeah, than me. Tintel, but you're Tintel, guy. right? But there's knowing what you're gonna do. So like dodging uh-huh. and like going through a ladder drill, where you reactive. know your steps and having quick steps. But then there's reactive. And when you're running downhill in a trail and there's leaves and roots and rocks and things mm-hmm. and you're like send it mode, like you're just going to run, yeah. then you've got to like look and read and choose where to step and you're taking weird steps and different steps. Mm-hmm. So I think you get like some of that and there'll, there'll be branches and you lean and like those like subtle movements it's... translate, I think, to lacrosse really well. So those the combination of all those things uh-huh. sells me on the trails. And then on top of that, man, it's peaceful. That's... You get, sure. you know, like the spiritual, you know, I've always said like, it's like, it's kind of like been my church, like in my life. Like I, when I go up there, I, I find that like runner's high, uh-huh. it's pretty, you know, you see deer, you see birds. Um, you know, I've got just, you know, I used to run with, with the, the people I've run up there with and we would sit at the pond halfway through and you're tired and you're vulnerable and it's a great time to take in a life lesson or, or, mm-hmm. or share something. And so that's always been a part of it to me as well. It's like you know when i like i've lost my way or i've had a bad day or a bad week it's like go run the trails it's it's cleansing so when you talk about like the watches um again it's my edge like i think i train hard i think i run a lot up there and um i don't need anybody to know you know it's yeah i I like that though you know i'd rather i'd rather i know that and hopefully other people find out about it in games when they watch me and and i'm you know playing well and playing fast yeah i mean the actual like physical side of it is when you put it how you put it, it's obvious, right? That it, you're running uphill, there's challenging terrain, and then also like that flow state of the downhill. So when yeah. I bike to and from work, maybe half the time, this is what I'm clinging to athletically. Yeah, Venice Beach is the jungle I'm, itself. So. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Redondo. But <laughs> okay, there's, but that's, so my favorite parts, and I seek these out, I'll literally change my route and go a little bit farther so that I'll go through an area where there's tree branches coming down. I just rip through it on my bike, and all I do is move my head. I basically react to it, but it's the closest thing on a bike that, for me, I've never gotten like the high or the flow state from simply doing the mechanical motion of going. But when I can react to things that are, it puts me into that like joy flow state where I'm not thinking about anything. But that's right. Things that can captivate your mind to the point, and that I mean, we were talking about this before. It's sports is like one of the easiest ways to find the flow state because you when you go play you you get so lasered in on what you're doing and you don't have time to think about things you're, mm-hmm. you're reacting and doing and just like going off of habits and instincts and so you find that like zone where it's like you're whatever you're unconscious Definitely. and but you're playing great mm-hmm. and and that's the trails is another place where I've consistently been able to find it and so any anything in life that like i can consistently find that feeling i try to do as much of it as possible definitely and, and that's one place where it's like sometimes when i'm out of shape i can't find it because I'm, just like, <laughs> like, I'm like this sucks struggling to breathe but when i get you know when i'm getting close to the season and when i've been up there consistently it's like i just i snap into it and the eyes get like a little teary and like everything looks kind of blurry and it, all you're focused on is the next step and you mm-hmm. you, you cannot get that running on a track because it look it, you it's don't have to yeah. yeah it's mechanical you just mm-hmm. you don't have to look at your feet you're just kind of running so you know that's uh I'm, I'm i'll always be big on promoting that and i've tried to encourage a lot of other guys to around atlanta to come get mm-hmm. up there with me but you got to get spiritual pe- people don't like to run yeah like people don't like to well, run long distance so you so but when you're up there giving life, le- life lessons near the pond yeah, and telling you them you're just in. a tree with legs man <laughs> just run yeah, yeah, yeah. be like the water that's See weird how still it is. <laughs> 
you're hitting him with all these metaphors. I'm crying. Like, I'm, like, why I'm, is he crying? <laughs> that's the last time I'm going into the woods with Rat. Um, one thing that you had said before that just sparks an idea because it connects with another thing that you do is you have this like leadership uh, endeavor, and that's less of a physical endeavor, but it requires a lot of like brain power and creative thought, and it probably given that the PLL is giving you more time to like downtime you can look at it how you want but from a creative for a creative mind it's as valuable as anything right yeah. it's like the ingestion of ideas is very important it's like you talk to any writer I read all the time right. that's what any writer says read 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 and then you sit and yeah let it coalesce and hopefully come up with your own conglomeration of other ideas and then spend the other time writing so it's like, has that downtime that the PLL has afforded you given you kind of some time to tweak your leadership game? Absolutely, because that's, that's exactly it. You, to, to come up with anything original, you have to have the time. I mean, you have to have experiences, and just like you said, you have to learn and then apply it in your own life and see how it helps you and then be able to share it with others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before first coming to Pro Lacrosse, it was such a hustle. Like it was, it's coaching constantly. It's setting up clinics every day. It's you know because you got to pay your bills and you're trying to figure it out. You know what the PLL has allowed is to really kind of create this career. You know at this stage in my life that I'm really happy with, where it's like I'm not gonna just go run clinics because I need the money. Mm-hmm. You know I'm, I'm gonna coach because I love it and it's a way to give back. And I think I learn a lot about how I can help athletes through coaching them and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. I do it, but I do it the amount that I'm comfortable with, and, mm-hmm. and it does leave a lot more time for me to, like you're talking about, read or you know work on different talks that I want to give or, or things like that. And it's helped me to you know to be able to develop more of my own original content, um, and then even more than that, just be happier. Which like a, a lot of what I'm trying to teach and and what I constantly work on myself is just how to less in stress in life like I'm just one who really believes that you know stress is cancer and it doesn't mean you can't be a high achiever and have big goals and work really hard but we don't have to stress our way through life doing that like Mm -hmm. to be stress-free you don't have to be a monk and move to India and do nothing besides you know meditate and pray so it's like having enough space in your life to spend time on like your own yourself and think and whatever it is have creative release write, go run trails you know, put together that content. For me, it's been like a really healthy thing. And I think it's allowed me to put more of my focus into the areas that I'm really passionate about and that I want to pursue long term, as opposed to just doing what I have to do to, to make money and get by so that I can pay my bills and mm-hmm. do whatever else. Yeah, I mean, that I agree with all that. If you so the leadership game is interesting, because you're telling people what to do in a way, right? It's like, Leadership inherently is like philosophical in that like you're trying to motivate and provide a framework for people to arrive at some end, right? You could be sure. a motivational speaker who's there's a range of motivational speakers. Some are trying to increase, you know, get you to exercise more. Some are trying to like some motivational speakers could be like you need to calm down, right? Sure. So there's a range of like listen, stop going so hard and calm down. What? In terms of like your end game in your leadership, is is happiness? Is that the general? Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I think it's it's everybody wants something different. So the way that like I attack leadership or define it is from a place of adversity. Right? Like everything I talk about with leadership, like certain people are, are the type of leaders that want to inspire others, and a huge part of leadership, if you're whatever a CEO or if you're a coach or if you're a, 
you know, leading a business is about getting people around you. But then for other people, it's it's about personal leadership. It's about like I just want to live a healthier, better, happier life. Mm-hmm. Or you know, for for a lot of the kids that I work with, it's about goals of of being the best player they can be or being the best teammate they can be. So I think everybody has a different end game and where I try to fill in or where I try to help people see or, or what I try to help people see is that, you know, at the end of the day, leadership is has to be setting an example. So if you want to inspire or lead other people, it's got to start with you being able to behave at a really high level and, and make really great decisions and communicate really effectively. Mm-hmm. So I focus on how am I going to help myself, not on I'm going to teach you how to you know, inspire all these millions of people around you. You're going to inspire the people around you inherently by being the best version of yourself and specifically by doing that in challenging circumstances. You know, we say like if things are going well, everybody's a leader. If you're, if you're winning by 10 goals, every person on your team feels like a leader. There's yeah. not like a need for leadership. It's when shit hits the fan or like bad calls start happening or you're in a losing season. Like that's where you need leadership and that's where leadership stands out. And whether you're vocal or not, people in chaotic situations gravitate towards like functioning calm presence, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to train or I try to train people to notice chances to practice leadership like start to build awareness around what is stressing you out in your day in your season and whatever whatever it is and start to use those as practice like if you start to pay attention to what bothers you and you take that information and you learn about yourself and you improve in your ability to deal with that then you just became a more functional person and now Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to bother you or to rattle you um so that's like a long-winded way of getting at it but that's kind of of what my goal is and I think that inherently leads to happier people because you know if, if this was stressing me out so much but then I grow as a person to where this no longer stresses me out then I'm going to be happier and I'm going to function better and I'm going to show up better for the other people in my life whether that's family teammates you know whatever age you are part in life you are you're going to show up better for the people around you if you're functioning at a really high level yourself so mm-hmm. that's like the end game for me I'm constantly working on that myself and, and I you know a lot of the stuff I teach is stuff that I learned and I applied and I saw it work and so now I'm able to kind of share stories and talk about how mm-hmm. you know if you work on becoming a better leader aka a better person then you're going to be able to make a bigger impact on the people around you and you're going to find mm-hmm. more success and happiness and all those different things and sports is such a great metaphor for that because there's nothing in life that gives you like a safer place to fail more often than sports. I mean, every practice, every game, you get beat, you give up goals, you lose, you you fail, but it's like a safe environment to fail in. So mm-hmm. if you can like learn how to take and apply what you can use in sports in real life when like far more serious things hit the fan, I think that can be really powerful. And, and so that's kind of the, um, the goal of what I'm doing is to just help more people realize how valuable sports can be, especially in youth sports and teaching lessons that mm-hmm. apply like far beyond the, yeah. the athletic field. I think anyone would be hard pressed to disagree with any anything you just said. Let's go. Yeah. Um, com. Are... <laughs> hire me. <laughs> Shout out to our sponsor, SDX. Um, no, but I I agree with all that, and it's. Um, I talked to Mark Lucini, and he's into leadership. Yeah, and I've had ten, some really good talks with him as well. To, yeah, great guy, and. It is once you put out put yourself out there as someone who who's quote in the leadership game or in the mentorship game or coaching, you become more vulnerable in that you have to live your your philosophies right. It's that yeah. the, the, the the quickest way to become a bad philosopher is to say people ought to do things and then get caught <laughs> doing otherwise. Yeah, for sure. So like, 
it like putting yourself out there and creating a leadership method makes you that. Yeah. And it's like, how much has that been? You were a certain way and you, you preach what you were or you, you said, you know what, this is what I want to be. And then you started to become, you know what I mean? Like how much interplay has there been between you becoming? I think there's both, but I think the key word you use is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, I'm able to have the most impact when I'm just honest about where I've fallen short and what I learned from it and what, you know, ways of thinking or approaching getting better I use. So like where I try to come from that, cause you're right. Like you're going to, if you're going to teach leadership and I'm going to stand up in front of people and talk about having strong behaviors and adversity, but then I go and face some adversity and don't handle it well. Yeah. It's not a great look, but the point and what I try to hammer in is nobody's perfect. And adversity will never go away in life. Like no matter how strong you get, the problems will get bigger or different problems will show up. So it's not like leadership's not about being perfect. Like the, the most successful people in the world, I think, are the ones who handle making mistakes the best because whatever you want to call it, making mistakes or failure mm-hmm. or whatever else. So hopefully limited mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but maybe not though, because you you. What happens, I think, is say everybody's down a path and has the opportunity to reach the same level of success. Well. It's not, it's not equal. Life's not fair. Certain people have more roadblocks than others, but in general, everybody's going to hit roadblocks. The ones that ultimately get to the highest level of success are the ones that can most quickly steer around the roadblocks and continue to believe they're still going to get there and get mm-hmm. back on track. The ones who fall short are the ones who run into the roadblock, run into it, run into it, say, I can't get around it, and then they just stop and settle there. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, to me, great leadership it's, it's always striving to be better, but it's recognizing like you're never going to stop making mistakes. And, and one of my favorite sayings is like compassion starts with yourself. You have to like be okay in knowing that you're going to make mistakes, but those mistakes or those shortcomings you have are, they're okay as long as you learn from them and you acknowledge them and you grow from them. If you just keep running into the same mistakes over and over, I think that's where you like hit a wall and can freeze. So by no way do I think I'm a perfect leader. And I mean, shit, I haven't had a winning season in pro lacrosse in like six years, so I obviously like, I can't sit here and say I've been the the captain with the secret sauce to winning, anything like that, but Uh what I do think I can authentically say is I I have made mistakes and I have owned them and learned from them and shown how I've been able to grow from them, and I will continue to try to do that and try to become a better person and a better leader, and you know, if I I can keep improving myself and showing that improvement, then hopefully that... um, you know, can allow me to help others to do the same thing. Yeah, I think that's, if you're gonna improve, that that's accurate, is that you, hopefully you don't continue to make the same mistakes, but in pushing your personal boundaries, you'll meet, in, inevitably make mistakes. Yeah. Is that like... You're gonna meet challenges. Yeah. And especially so, if you're going after something, mm-hmm. like, uh, if, you, if you're somebody with big dreams or big goals, like, it's going to be hard. And that's my point on failure. It's It's... The only ones who get there are the ones who are good at overcoming yeah. it. Yeah. And if you don't think that that's built in to the process, then you're 100%. naive to like the And when reality. you really like commit to that mindset, this has been my favorite part of it, then like you, you view adversity and failure differently. Now, it's not to say you always like everything that happens to you. Like I go through things that give me anxiety or that I'm bummed about, of course. But like it's almost like a challenge. Like I wake up and I'm like, let's see if anything can throw me off today. Cause like I'm feeling pretty strong. Yeah. And like, so you start to like seek out mm-hmm. failure because you view it as an opportunity to learn as yeah. opposed to a shortcoming. You Definitely. Know? And, and that's been like a really healthy shift. It's like I'm thinking both sides of it. Right. It's like, yep. if you look at it as a, ch- like you seek out challenge in that way, then before you are challenged, you're 
like setting yourself up and trying to be challenged, but then after it, at least this is how I look at it, and this has happened with a number of things. Like I shot a few, sh- three short films at this point, but one of them I was just like, oh, that's that's not going on the internet. Right. But I was like, it, the reason it was good is because like, well, I won't fuck up like that again. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly that. So it, it's on both sides of, of the challenge. It's that you you know that a challenge is positive going into it, and that after it you see it as just a rung on the ladder towards the next step. That's right. That's um, right. So, in terms of, like, your leadership and the ages of kids you're talking about, what, like, who's your target? And obviously, you're, eventually, your target is, like, human beings. Yeah, <laughs> um, dog, and, dogs, and, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Any living creature. Yeah, but sure. Point being, you're in, like, a, you're in the startup phase of building, like, a leadership thing. Right now, who are generally the people that you're talking yeah, to? Yeah, well, the, uh, the lowest hanging fruit is is young lacrosse players. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the audience that I can most easily reach. Um, but I've had experience. I mean, I've been doing this three or four years and, and you know, considering it my kind of pseudo-second full-time job along with being a professional lacrosse player. Mm-hmm. Um and I've gotten a chance to work with people from all different walks of life. I mentioned my mom, and she, she, you know, similar to me, runs her own kind of consulting business where she does, you know, whether it's keynote speaking on leadership or it's one-on-one executive coaching, things like that. Mm-hmm. But through working with her, I've gotten exposure, and I've had a chance to work with a lot of, you know, business organizations mm-hmm. where I'm coaching, you know, people who are twice my age, who are in different management roles and things like that. So I've gotten exposure to that, and then I've worked with, you know, in the, the what I call like my leadership academy phase I've worked with kids as young as fifth and sixth grade up to obviously seniors in high school and guys that are going to play sports at the highest level and um, that's what's you know I like to believe is unique about that messaging is that it, it really does apply to everyone so I, mm-hmm. I that's like a salesy answer because it's like I everybody but yeah that, that kind of is it is it's well that's you know, why I, I said it, it would be you'd be hard-pressed to disagree with any of the sentiments that you said right. it, it doesn't like, matter what you're trying to do like the same you know everybody's going to face adversity in what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn strategies to take the adversity, learn from it, grow from it, handle it well, show others around you how they should be handling it through setting an example, mm-hmm. then you're going to elevate in whatever it is you're doing. So yeah. again, my, my audience is primarily young lacrosse players because of the platform I have, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm certainly trying to like get the message out there to anybody that wants to hear it. And from like a business standpoint for myself, it's practice what I preach. It's go, where the river takes me it's you know I'm not like solely set on like I'm gonna work with sports teams or I'm gonna work with this it's just kind of what opportunities present themselves and what people come into my life that open up those opportunities and trying to pay attention to that and go where the wherever the energy guides me yeah well I think that that I think that's a plausible goal for you because having played with you and having like been in locker rooms with you and things like that it's not like what you're saying is like we need to slide upfield on the. It's like general leadership where if there was a non lacrosse person who didn't know what you know D MIDI was, you could still be like, you hear this? <laughs> like that, and right. that's that's where certain people's like life outlook just bleeds outside the game. What it 
in anything, right? It's like, yeah. why do people... Li- I've never played football. I played a few games when I was younger. I got hit in the back and yeah. basically quit after that. No, you're not a football uh, Yeah, I got hit with the helmet, and I was like, is that legal? They were like, yeah, yeah the back all the pad. The, the back pads are <laughs> Like, literally, the best receiver on the team, on my team, could have a back pad, and I, like, tried to go ask for one, and they were like, uh, you need a few more catches. That's what I needed. can use a back pad. A friend of mine, his name's Ian Scooten, was the one who hit me in the back. Good hit, but I was like, is that legal? And then once I found out that it was, I was like, I think I'm going to just, yeah, yeah, phase out of the sport. <laughs> Um, but point being, why have I listened to a Ray Lewis speech sure. or something like that? Yeah. Like certain people's messages bleed beyond their particular endeavor, and yeah. that helped him within football. But his message is why. And sure. I feel like yours is a a similar thing, and that's yeah. why you're got, you've never taken a face off. Well, you have, but you're, that's not yeah. your specialty. Successfully, but, but, <laughs> but you were at the Face Off Academy giving like a leadership speech, right? Um, and I think that. Um, you know, people even if they didn't play sports, can, at least in America, can appreciate sports metaphors. Mm-hmm. Like people are sports fans inherently, even if they don't play. For the mm-hmm. most part, now there's probably other people out there like yourself that don't turn on TVs and would rather <laughs> Try not you know to. read a book or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, so it's funny because my mom and I have found working together that you know we we worked with Georgia Tech athletics and we we had the Green Bay Packers as a client now not their players or coaches but like their upper management but the the sports organizations gravitate towards her she has this ex- experience working with executives and executive mm-hmm. leadership and they're like oh let's tap into business yeah where then like the business clients that we've had and and you know people that are we've worked with banks and things like that they seem to gravitate towards me because wow. they love the idea of a pro athlete and leadership, yeah. <laughs> like lessons from the locker room so even if they're not athletes, the sports metaphors land. It's it's mm-hmm. a way to help people understand the, the lessons that we're teaching and the idea of learning from failure and from adversity and like comparing losing a you know comparing the Falcons blowing a twenty eight three lead in the Super Bowl to you know something you fell short. Like people, it, it's entertaining and people gravitate towards it. So sports are powerful in that way where you can you know the yeah. message that I'm sharing has nothing to do with sports but uh-huh. sports is a great place to learn it and to recognize the value of a lot of those Definitely. lessons and it's been like the vehicle that has shown that what you're working on right. is effective and that's why when I was missing work. classes in high school I, and I was out playing wall ball I would tell my parents don't worry about the class I'm learning everything I need to know I'm going to make my money <laughs> in this well that's I actually have rationalized my own mistakes in the same way yeah I said I didn't you know I missed a few classes in college but at the end of the day I've made most of my money at this point as yeah and I wasn't fractional as that cash is um, (laughs) in the lacrosse world but and in reality that's a rationalization no no we're both very lucky we got we we ended up yeah we're 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 few people who actually have made um, at least a living and that doesn't mean like you've made a lot of money but like you've gotten by and enjoyed having a career like I, doing lacrosse stuff. I think something that you can relate to, like for me, that took courage and and like I admire this about you even to this day because you 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 know what you want and what you like to do and and like one thing that as I got to know you that I, I take away was like it's it's you know people may have this perception of like he doesn't care about money and he just is going to live in a van and whatever but like you're driven as a writer, you know, more oh, than I've yeah. seen people driven at anything. And 
but you don't like you're not gonna you're not gonna go away from the way you want to approach this just to chase money mm-hmm. and that takes courage and it's hard and like for me you know my father is traditional and was like mm-hmm. get a job and like i yeah. got a job in banking Scott, and is it that was a like, tattoo yes he's, he's like stay on this path so uh-huh. like, it took some courage at, yeah, at a young you. me to be mm-hmm. like you know what i'm gonna like i'm gonna send it i'm gonna That's do a this perfect and tra- i, you know, I I've, I've that resonates with me big time because like you know it's almost there's like a it depends on how you look at the world of course but like if you went to yale and you're supposed to make money yeah. <laughs> I mean, and not and, have neck tattoos of pine trees of course yeah like there's a certain and i don't think that that's how things operate and i try to just do otherwise but like in reality that's like the the structure of society says you did this you should at least have done yes. this right it's yes. like you make what right. and then it's like well but but you're not going to convince other people so it's like i've built I, we have a similar like world outlook in that like in the beginning, it took courage a lot, but now it just feels like... Yeah, it seems silly to do it any other way. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I would be so yeah out of my element had I done otherwise, and I wouldn't be myself if That's I right. would. Um, but it's a good transition into what I was going to ask you about next, because like you said, you were you worked in banking coming out of college. Yep. And I mean, right there, off the bat, just black and white, you've undergone... a transformation since then and we had talked last night about the idea that like some people you just see them you know five years later and they're like oh that's johnny yeah he's there's not too much change and i'm not talking about like a superficial like nice haircut like you actually have undergone like some sort of whether it be philosophical or hopefully improvement it doesn't always go in, in the good direction yep but you've gone, in in my opinion, but other people out there might be like, Scott, you've, you've really messed up. You could have been a banker. But in my opinion... Sorry, you, Dad. You, <laughs> apologies to all the parents involved in this conversation. Um, but you've undergone a tra- like an evolution in what I think is like a positive. Like you've become... I, more of who you are has come out as a result of... So what, what, what is your... I mean, we talked last night that like there's this counterintuitive thing about like treating yourself as a project and trying to get better and that the current version of myself I think I'm doing just fine but that every past version is not really I'm like eh, that was, wasn't was so good yep. but that the current version of me is going Figured to be out. one of those yeah. next year yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like what is your outlook on just like treating yourself as a project and how do you balance that with like being like I'm okay with myself yeah I mean I just think that that's that's a good question I, I'm after that conversation last night, I think there's probably I probably need to think longer. On <laughs> we had some world rattling <laughs> combos last night. But uh, um, I'm I'm lucky to have uh, two, three great role models: older sister, mom, and dad. But particularly, my mom is is uh, somebody who just like she's obviously being in this leadership and personal development world, and you know she's gone through things herself, and she shared with me and like the kind of guiding phrase I've used through my life has been trust yourself. And so, like, these moments of big change, you know, the first one I ever went through was I was committed to play lacrosse at the Naval Academy. And I, you know, really late decommitted and went to Loyola. And that was um, kind of in a funny manner, like, similarly with my dad. He loved the idea of free education. And mm-hmm. obviously the Naval Academy is super admirable yeah. and everything. So Can't have tattoos by um, regulation. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> so, so that was, like, the first one where I remember my mom's advice was, like, you know, trust yourself. And then 
it came again when I was working in banking and I really wanted to pursue being a professional cross player and show like how far I could make it in the mm-hmm. sport and things like that. And she kind of had the same advice. And those were both like when I look back at my life and reflect, like those were both big pivot points where I changed like a lot. And I changed in my opinion for the better and went more down the path of like who I really was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So because I had these two great examples and obviously winning the national championship at Loyola made it easy to be like, that was the right decision. Yeah. And you know, then having success as a pro lacrosse player makes it easy to be like, that was the right decision. But those are two pivot points that just taught me, you know, to embrace change, but to just trust like my gut in those moments where it, you know, you need to change. And so um, that's kind of my relationship with it. Like my mom always says, if you don't like change, you don't like life and you're going to be fighting your way through life because everybody has, you're forced into change mm-hmm. constantly. So I try to look at it in that way and I try to just like recognize that I'm going to be different, that I am different and that I think everybody should be striving to, to be and become different, but then at the same time appreciating like where you're at. And that's mm-hmm. maybe is a weird balance. Um, but I'm grateful for like the change I've gone through to get to where I am and I'm excited and I look like optimistically about man like I've changed this much and I'm so happy with who I am and where I am I can't wait to see where I what I become and where I am in five to Mm -hmm. ten years because I inherently believe it's going to be even better than this version of me now I guess is my like optimism optimism (laughs) at it I had a a teacher at, at Loyola um I'll always remember this is Professor Brown at like our orientation in front of the whole class. He this said, is one of the classes you you showed up to. <laughs> God, come on, <laughs> yeah, yes. This was orientation, so the whole you know freshman class of oil is there, and he says, "What are the best four years of your life?" And kid raises his hand and says, "College," or like maybe one kid said, "High school," and like I raised my hand and said, "The next four years." And Professor Brown like, walked off the stage and got like in my face and just put the microphone down and was like, "I'll remember that." And then, like, backed up and walked back on stage and, like, continued his talk. Because you got it right. Because that was the answer he was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, you know, I was proud of myself. I was, like, well, that was, first off, that was a little weird. But I was, like, proud of, of that he valued that outlook. He was, like, a really respected professor on campus. Mm-hmm. And, and he did remember it. He did, like, stop me the rest of my four years. I never took his class. But, like, he always knew who I was and kept a relationship with me. And so I, I do have a little bit of that, um, and it bothers people sometimes. But I have a little. You bit have of this, a little bit of like, like just relentless optimism. Like yeah, it's always going to get better no matter what. Yeah. I just kind of believe that, and mm-hmm. I'm like, if you're not believing it, then I, even if I know it's like maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm off, I would prefer to to think about life that way mm-hmm. um, because you have no chance of it being better the next four years if you don't think that it's good. Exactly. Be. And it becomes far less blind when you actually do the work. Yeah. And that doesn't mean like being blind to challenges. Like it's not like I'm saying every day gets better but like you go through hard times and good times but just as a general belief in a whole that if you keep growing and learning and things like it will continue to get better. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah. you die and then you're and then it's the best. Yeah. And then you are a tree. <laughs> <laughs> The dream is achieved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's something out there. Sure. Um, yeah. Again, can't can't disagree with any of it. What? Uh, let's get into your your work with the Give and Go Foundation. Yeah. Or Foundation, yeah. right? Yeah. Give and Go Foundation. Um, go yeah, I didn't want to botch the name. Give Go Foundation. Another uh, sponsor of the show today. The Give and Go Foundation. <laughs> That's right. Please donate. Yeah, um, but yeah, but so just talk about what that is and kind of what the goals are. Yeah, so the Give and Go Foundation was created. Uh, Adam Gittleman is mm-hmm. really probably the, the guy who deserves most of the credit. Um, my co-founder, 
uh, we were on a, you know, he, he started doing this and, and Marcus Holman was another guy who was an early kind of adapter or the guy who came up with the idea of, you know, they started traveling. A lot of lacrosse players who play at the level we did don't get the opportunity to travel because you're playing club all summer in high school. You don't have spring breaks. Then you get to college and you're playing and so mm-hmm. you don't get to study abroad. And so Adam and Marcus took a trip together and they were like, we might as well just put together some clinics and like just coach while we're there for, you know, because to share the sport, to grow mm-hmm. it. And they did it, and they loved it, and so they came back, and they talked about it, and then we went on a, um, really the first big one was Drew Snyder came, Will Manny jumped in, myself, Adam, Marcus, and we coached in Barcelona, Spain, and, you know, 65 people from seven different countries showed up to the clinic, and we started to realize, like, we have something here, and we started traveling more and more. I went on the Japan trip. We obviously had an insane experience coaching there that's Mm -hmm. incredibly inspiring. You see how many people there play and how much they like it, and... I really like fell in love with coaching internationally, you know, continuing to pile on. I went and worked with lacrosse nations who work, who do teaches lacrosse as a after school activities in third world countries. And it's, you know, it's about growing the game, but more than that, it's about providing an outlet for kids with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an amazing experience. So like all these experiences started to add up where eventually Adam and I were on a trip and we were like, okay, like, we both have fell in, fallen in love with travel and sharing the game while we go, and it's given us these incredible, authentic travel experiences where we're staying with, you know, in random suburbs with lacrosse players from these different countries, and we're in places that we never would have gone if we hadn't sought out teaching lacrosse in these places. And so we're like, how can we formalize this? And we had heard through Lacrosse Nations that they had their best donation month um, in a few years, the week that the the month that Adam and I had went down and worked with them because we pumped it out on social media and we both had a platform through being pro lacrosse players. So we wanted to figure out a way to leverage our platform to give back to lacrosse communities that we're trying to grow. And that's you know what we're calling underserved lacrosse communities, which doesn't necessarily mean poor communities. In some places they are in Central and South America and other places um, that we've worked in Europe and things like that. It's not the financial resources they need. It's equipment, it's lacrosse education, it's coaching, it's things like that. Um, but we just wanted to use our platform to to raise money to give back to those startup organizations. And, and it goes back to what lacrosse has given us in our lives. And it's, you know, I talk about the big three for me. It's creativity and a creative release. Um, it's community, and that's probably the biggest one, is you become a part of the lacrosse community. And the lacrosse community has shown up for me countless times in my life, and I just believe in the value of welcoming more people into that um and then it's discipline and you know that's a big part of what lacrosse nations does is the kids who show up to practice every day in these third world countries well once you've come for a month straight you get a stick once you've come for three months straight you get a helmet and it it teaches discipline that they don't get in other places in their life Mm -hmm. um you know so so give and go is a vehicle to just help do that help provide programs all over the world um we've we've supported several here domestically as well and, and essentially we'll We'll raise money and we'll give it to existing organizations that you know we believe have the the right setup to, to grow the sport organically. So there's somebody on the ground in Belgium who is passionate and who wants to grow the sport there and who is willing to put in the time and the work, but they don't have the resources and they need to be able to buy equipment because they can get more people to come out and play but not spend $150 on equipment or we'll buy your field space for the year because we don't have the funds because we're not organized to do that. So we, we seek out all sorts of different 
outreach that we can do mm-hmm. um, and then we just again we use our platform we run clinics and, and things like that and we raise money and we do raffles and giveaways and so many people in the pro lacrosse community have been amazing and gotten behind it and uh, you know this year alone we were able to raise close to uh, close to $50,000 and, and spend pretty much all of it um, you know right back into the lacrosse community and, and into these programs that are um, that are growing around the world whether it's in you know we've, we've worked with a lot in Europe and South America and Argentina. We've given back to lacrosse the nations who's in Nicaragua and Panama and Colombia. And then also right here in our backyard, um, we're supporting right now currently a, a program in Nashville that's um, you know providing an opportunity to be a part of the lacrosse team and to have weekly practices for kids in, in a really underserved community in Nashville who who wouldn't have those you know those opportunities without it. So mm-hmm. that's been a really really cool thing, and, and it's been crazy to see the lacrosse community rally behind it. And I think it's encouraged more people to travel and to go places and to coach and to give back to the communities they're in. And you know I think there's inherent value in that for the people that go do it. Um, so it's been really fun and, and a really cool adventure for us and, and getting to do it with, with my best friends and stuff is also uh, mm-hmm. a where, cool part of Where it. can people donate to that? Just yeah, so I mean, you can go to givegofund.com is, is the best place and, and you can look right there at kind of our initiatives and currently um, we're raising money for lacrosse the nations. Um, they're looking to start a new program in Colombia, um, as well as I mentioned, Nashville Stars Across, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you can read all about those organizations and exactly what we're doing, and, and you can donate right there. And uh, um, yeah, again, we appreciate the support. We sell awesome T-shirts. Yeah, get no, I know you, other stuff you do sell good T-shirts. So, um, Adam is the mastermind behind that. He's a creative guy, so he's the uh, he's the he's the social media and the and the marketing, and, and I'm the back end. Of, yeah, of that I operation. mean, if there's anything that this pod this conversation can do beyond hearing us shoot the shit it's to donate to that cause sure certainly and that's i mean that's like everything that that i'm doing in the lacrosse world i try to push people there because it's like at this point i'm just so appreciative for lacrosse like i mean even this conversation like everything that's cool in my life has Mm -hmm. been a product of leaning into the sport and then like i talked about leadership buying into the lessons i've learned from this sport and these different things so the more people we can give that opportunity to to have a stick and to play and to get to be on a team like I, I you know I believe that you're doing a lot more for that kid than just yeah teaching him a game yeah you know? it extends so. beyond the hour or so of the clinic that's right and then also as, as the sport grows around the world it's important I think to, to Adam and I and to everybody who loves the game that like the culture of the game travels with it so you go to Portugal and you how did you guys learn lacrosse well we saw it on American Pie and I looked it up and I was like oh this is a real sport let's start a team so they don't know about that's what they yeah, yeah that's what they said and, you, and we've heard that in a lot of places movies they see it in the movie and then somebody starts a team or I wanted to be on a national team so I looked up random sports started a club started teaching people got 20 together and entered the world games like mm-hmm. that's like a really common story so to go and to run a free clinic to teach them teach them you know we spent a lot of time teaching adults how to coach kids mm-hmm. and, and te- talking to them about how to get into the schools, how to teach you to play without pads, like three by and speed lacrosse and things like that, which we experienced in Japan. Like that's, that's the way it can grow is get over to the adults and help empower them with drills and understanding of fundamentals and understanding of different games and ways you can grow it with the youth. So we do that. But then after we have these clinics and we inspire, we stand up there and we say like, here's what lacrosse means to us in our life. Here's why people call it the medicine game. You know, Mm -hmm. here's where it comes from. Um, it's you know it's a Native yeah, American. It wasn't sport. invented in American pop. A hundred percent. Like <laughs> like like the history of the game, at least as as well as we can speak about it, we'll share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then again, I talk about those big three things, and we talk about the community, and like if you're gonna play this sport, 
you have an obligation to take care of other people who play this sport mm -hmm. and you also have an obligation to share it and like we're here and we have a bag of sticks that we're going to give to you guys so now you have to take that stick you're using and give it to, to somebody else in your neighborhood your neighbor your kid your mm -hmm. little brother whatever it is yeah so spreading that message is, is a big part of what we're trying to do also yeah again a list of things that are difficult to disagree with um and then you also like coupled with uh, give and go is you have a, a love for travel so you, you'll you go and you'll coach these clinics and then you'll go to a country and get to experience it and most of the experience of the population out, or a high percentage is interacting with the kids you're coaching but you also get to spend time in a country and we were talking last night about kind of the philosophy on travel and where you go in a country and not listening to Google and things like that. Yeah. And we had both kind of agreed that you go to kind of a grungier local place to meet. Like, what, what is your outlook on that? It's like mixing it up with the, with yeah, the general it's, population. It's don't be a tourist. Yeah. And like giving go does help with that because when you run clinics, especially in foreign countries, a lot of times it's old. Like I said, it's older people that are playing lacrosse, like at the club level, mm -hmm. or at the national team level, or things like that. So it's they're your age or they're old enough to take you out to dinner and to invite you to stay with them and things like that so give and go was like helped me to realize going to just like the main cities that everybody's gone to where there's 15 bloggers telling you the 15 top thing or the seven top things you should do i mean there's part of that that like you get to a city it's like usually i'll spend the first five hours just like knocking that out like walk around like you're in London, like there's Big Ben, there's the London Bridge. Mm -hmm. I saw I'm getting the BS out of the way. Boom, done. Saw it. Like I'm not no no buying tickets mm -hmm. to go, get you know go into places like walking tours. I think in certain cities yeah. you can learn from them and things, but for the most part, man, it's you know I like I like tr trying to act like I live. Like I want the people there to think that I live there. Mm -hmm. That means you speak the local language. Yeah. You, you don't buy a little beer. Ben, Big Ben trinket. No, you eat <laughs> the local food. Yeah, it's uh -huh. like you 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 know fully engulf yourself in. Um, what a great way to like learn about the world and learn about yourself and gain better perspective. So mm -hmm. I, I like I spend as much time as I can doing that. Yeah, and we had we had touched on it last night, but you learn the most about other cultures and places by by taking that strategy the more you go to a place that outsiders go the more you get a, a imperfect picture of what a place is like we have these like these things we call the give and go commandments that are like uh travel tips like towards that mm -hmm. and like i'll get on here quickly and like read a few um but it is true, right? It's like if you go to Big Ben, who's going to be at Big Ben? Americans. A bunch of Americans. Well, that's people why. from all over that aren't, yeah. they're not good microcosms of and, the culture and that's at large. That's what I was going to say. One of the commandments made me think of that is like, avoid Americans like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> we, talk, we talked about that too, is how much hate Americans get yeah. abroad. I mean, I think. Well, and just like you can get what happens when you do that, when you go to the main tour sites and you're around tourists, but specifically other Americans or Canadians, is you're back in your comfort zone. And, like, you you know, the fun comes from being uncomfortable and, like, being feeling out of place and feeling different. Or that's where, at least where I think the learning and the perspective comes. So it's, Definitely. like, again, like, avoid Americans like the play. It's, like, if I'm in a, like, at the most touristy place and I hear, like, it's always the Midwesterners. You can always, it'll be somebody with a Packers jersey on just, like, screaming to their wife, like, across the, the church. And it's just, like, okay, um, it's time to, <laughs> it's time to get out of here. Like, the Americans just are starting lost, to get you loud. You just lost the whole region of fans. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but you're right. It's, it's like you need to seek out these, these like, 
local places where you get where people are going to speak their minds. No one's like really being themselves at Big Ben. They're at Big Ben. Like you need to go to a bar where you're meeting someone who's in their 100% daily routine. And, and I know gonna... you've had this experience when you go into somewhere in a foreign country where tourists don't often come. That's when you get like the most epic, genuine experiences because most of the time they're excited. Like the same way that we would be. Like I don't hang out at places where there's just like Europeans like touring around looking at yeah. it all the time. But like if one walked in, it was like. Hey, like I'm traveling alone. I kind of ended up here. Like I'd be excited to be like, let me tell you about Atlanta, city in the forest. Did you ever hear that? Like, yeah, exactly. Right? So Spit you get some local yeah, knowledge. yeah, you get more. I think like authentic interaction when you make your best effort to like separate from the norm. But like that's not easy, and it requires you being willing to be uncomfortable. And again, lacrosse has yeah. been like a great driver for me in helping to have some of those like authentic experiences. Mm-hmm. What's uh, I I asked you this last night, but do you? I don't know if you have any concrete plans for future travel. Do you have any that like uh, a list of places that you want to go? Yeah, there's. I think there's like 300 countries in the world, so that's mm-hmm. the list. <laughs> well, do you, do you have a few specifics <laughs> for me? Um, I want to go everywhere. I mean, it's true though. I, I really do, and mm-hmm. obviously, there's you know there's places that are harder to go than others right now. But who knows? Political climates change. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're trying to go to Karachi, or yeah, I mean, you know, North Korea would be crazy to just like you know. Yeah, I always you know, said their fundamental game would be crazy. Like, they would have <laughs> very very good discipline. Yeah, lefty um, righty. I'd like to go to Russia. Like they play lacrosse in Russia. I think mm-hmm. that would be cool but no like the top like most immediate parts on my list um, you know, I'm really interested in like learning Spanish I'm decent at Spanish and I want to get to whether it's fluent or like highly mm-hmm. capable yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm focused on Spanish speaking countries and, and like Central and South America I mentioned is like a just a, a place where I've it's just it's very different right mm-hmm. you go down there and it's it's humbling in a lot of the places that I've been down there um, as far as just like the way people live much simpler much healthier the community aspect down there I think because of the financial situation in a country like Nicaragua or Panama or wherever else um, you know I've been I've really fallen in love with like the the culture in a lot of those countries so those are the ones that you know I haven't been to Colombia I'd like to make it there Uruguay Chile Brazil, like there's there's a decent amount of, of South America that I haven't seen and, and a few in Central America as well. So that's that's like I'm looking in like immediate future, like this spring, that's where I'll probably focus my travels mm-hmm. at this point. I've I've uh, ripped out a lot of Europe. Um, so I, I want to start to kind of break free. And then the biggest one is Africa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was laughing. So I was talking, um, I think, with my sister uh, about this, but it's like. I know once I make my first trip to Africa, I'm probably going to spend a decade on it of, of you know, traveling over there mm-hmm. and getting all around it. I think that that's kind of a big one for me in the future is, is get get to Africa and let's get lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be real in cool. Africa. I think that's a, um, obviously you got into lacrosse has done big things and I've been connected with other people on the ground that are doing it, but that's mm-hmm. a, um, you know, it's a, it's a continent you can make a big impact, but it's also a continent you can get way outside of your comfort zone. So forget give and go just for me personally, you know, I'd like to go experience, you know, as much as I can over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And if there's anyone, I mean, give and go or anyone beyond who, cause you guys work with other charities. So if there's anyone who, yeah. who has plans or inroads to do something like that, reach out. And, to and that's where, I mean, my, my girlfriend's in, in medical school and she went over to Ghana and did a medical mission trip and then connected me with, uh, you know, the people that they connected with for the medical mission trip. And he's like, well, listen, I can get, you know, kids organized and things like that. But that's where you can have a big impact in the European countries. 
um, or the more developed South American countries or Japan or Australia by going and running a clinic because they have lacrosse infrastructure. Yeah. So you can go teach them how to coach. You can drop off gear. You can inspire. You can, you know, do all those things. But in the, you know, central, in the Nicaraguas, in the Colombias, Panamas, in the African countries, you know, the value of going over there and doing one clinic is only going to carry so far. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, you know, if Give and Go is going to dive into a project in Africa, you know, we need to have the funding and the resources to put somebody on the ground there for an extended period of time, much yeah. like Lacrosse Nations does in, in those third world countries. Because, again, it, it, you know, it's important what you're doing with, with obviously, mm -hmm. with donations and to really make an impact, I believe, in a place like that there's got to be consistency definitely you know, you've got to get there and you've got to get stuff started and up and running so more so if there's any listeners that want to go live in a foreign country for a year um and, and think they could do it very cheaply and you know are, are willing to, to talk about something like that you know that's maybe a place that we're going to look to explore is how can we help set you know who is the right person that's ready to go spend a year of their life in some foreign place Might and is going to spend a lot of time <laughs> setting up and organizing youth across and after school programs and teaching kids the right way and mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of what we're maybe aiming towards and, and uh, there's I think there's lots of people in yeah the people are going to be down and like the consistency like you said the first time you go to a place you don't know what they need so the, the second time you come back you say well last time we were here they didn't have sticks or whatever yeah. you know yep. that, like the first trip how is, can we is help feel our mission that, that's, that's the 30 trips I've been on to this point is that's what it is it's it's education it's learning about how you can help mm -hmm. then you can come home you can raise the money and you know what to do with it and, and which places it's going to go the furthest and mm -hmm. things like that so that's exactly right um yeah there's not much to disagree with in any of the uh, give and go mission or or whatnot I think the only qualm I have with it is that they haven't brought me on a trip yet yeah but let's move on to a, an area where you're slightly... I messaged you on Instagram but you never responded so. he, well no you actually did text me about go, oh, yeah, going over there but yeah, I just I I'm there so poor that uh but we're gonna move into an area where you're way less ethical shit talking mm-hmm so you're known to talk some smack on the field. Yep. And I wouldn't say, like, so you could be a shit talker and you could be not good at it. And then it becomes almost like a gimmick. It's like, stop. But you're kind of, there's been rumors that you have some piercing shit talk. Yeah, sometimes. What's your, uh, what's your philosophy on that? And kind of, my, my big question was, is there any difference in what you say on the field to someone if you if you like them or if you don't? Well, I'll start there. That's an easier question to mm -hmm. answer, and, and no. Yeah, like my philosophy on effective shit talk is truth telling. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know, I don't try to like I try to tell the truth mm -hmm. if I'm if to somebody, and sometimes the truth can be harsh. But like I think a lot of my closer friends, like that's what they like about me is that I'm just gonna tell the truth mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, so, so no, I'm not going to treat somebody different if I, if I like them or not. I mean, there's certain relationships you have in pro sports where there's guys who are friends and then there's guys who are your brothers. And I think you do hit a certain point with certain guys where it's like, you know, a guy like Adam Gittleman, who I'm, I'm just so close with on a personal level that, like, I'm not going to talk shit to him on the mm -hmm. field. It's just He's like, on your team, too. So. <laughs> he is, but, but, you know, I've played against Will Manny's another one, yeah. you know, for me, who for a long time I played against. After. So mm -hmm. there 
Joe Nardella is a guy who I've I've grown mm-hmm. really really close with. So you with don't and talk. To I used to guys? relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Brent Adams is another one I used to, but it's we're, it's just like we're too deep into our friendship where it's mm-hmm. not effective. Like yeah. they're just like whatever. Right? Yeah, like, it could crumble a friendship for sure. <laughs> so there's like this weird in between space. I think where it's most effective when it's like you you start a relationship with the guy and you're like yeah like mm-hmm. me and Rad are really cool like he's this is my boy and then all of a sudden I'm on the field like screaming at you and like telling saying something like maybe that's offensive to you and you're like wait like I thought we were friends like that's where yeah. you can like yeah, rattle yeah, yeah. people exactly um, but it's I like I'm, Scott preaches kindness and all that but he just torched my soul <laughs> but I, of course I, I don't ever want it to be fake and and I've made mistakes you know uh-huh. anybody that like sets out to be a shit talker like you're probably doing it wrong yeah you know I do believe that the role I play on a team. I, I think the rope unit in general is a good position to mm-hmm. to mix it up. In some games, maybe if your if your team is flat, like you can send a message by opening your mouth, and and even more than that, sometimes if I'm flat, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, then I'm putting pressure on myself at the mm-hmm. same time of like, yeah, you got to start up running to your mouth. Yeah. You better show up, or else it's not good. So I think I use it in that way. But more than anything else, man, it's just it's fun. I'm playing the game. I like that part of it. I like mm-hmm. chirping and getting getting in the mix, and so. I've tried to learn to be better about it, and I probably have done it less as I've gotten older. And I think like that's kind of part of it too. It's like when you know, I think there's like roles on a team, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe if you really are the the captain and the leader of the team, you probably shouldn't be spending too much of your time, yeah, like worried about uncontrollables and mixing it up and things like that. So mm-hmm. I think I've grown in it, but of course I, I still do it. And, yeah, and, I was gonna and, say don't yeah. don't fully fade away. I'm not. From it. Don't worry. <laughs> Maybe I'm like talking myself into doing it less because yeah. sometimes it, it can be cringeworthy. But but I do think there's there, I mean there's clear cringeworthy for who for for the person hearing the truth or people watching because I think well I think the, and the, even the dangerous line that you tiptoe and why I think a lot of people don't do it is because lacrosse is so tight knit. I mean yeah right. It's never been more tight knit with the PLL. It's like we're all in this together. We're all stakeholders. So yep. it's like why did you? absolutely crush my soul with that yeah. truthful comment and but at the same time that can be disingenuous like the buddy buddy nature right. of the league can be um, it can dissolve competition in a way yeah and I, I, I like fire I like the fact that oh yeah those two guys don't like each other like what are you gonna do? Have some harmonious league where someone hacks you and then you say oh good check Chris like, that's right, that's right. I, I, I like to see the fire and I like to see that the personalities battling like that, and that's always been like, like when you talk shit, the best part is that it's true, right? Sure. And I've I've always taken the same approach: is I'm not gonna say you suck because it's like he doesn't suck. He's no, you get specific. Player. Like oh, you're yeah. the fourth best lefty on your team, <laughs> and your team is middle of the pack. So really, like you're irrelevant exactly <laughs> like, well there anytime you have a tangible reason to chirp it's like l- there's literally no less there's no situation country. ever where you're gonna get the poll priority in a game so I'll never guard you so why am I either exactly time talking to enjoy you? your charity game yeah. in the league because uh, <laughs> it's gonna end quick after right. I strip you exactly, like, exactly. things like but, but, but okay where I say cringeworthy is like I've been proven wrong in that mm-hmm. before right so like do you have that's a specific you, example or yeah like I went at Ty Warner this season mm-hmm. he's a D midi for the Whip Snakes yeah, Yale guy yeah um, and he's a stud Mm-hmm. And, like, this was, like, the second or third game of the season. Like, I knew he was good. I watched him in college. Like, everybody's good. So it's yeah. not like I disrespected him. But, like, he had 
uh, sent a tweet or something that was like whips by a million before they were gonna play us or something. So I decided and you were offended because he was exactly and I, and like I wasn't you. offended <laughs> even like I wasn't offended, but I was just like yeah, you know he put it out D- there. And I've told you like I like to target D middies uh-huh. because like I'm not gonna they're like, easy to target. Tell Connor Busick like you're trash, where then he's just gonna like next play has the ability to run me over and score yeah. me. Like that's not my yeah. Strategy. So it's you like, play. That's, I'm going that's like smart. I'm like a lion in the jungle. Like uh-huh. if there's an injured zebra and there's a stallion, I'm just gonna go eat the injured zebra i'm not yeah. gonna like waste my time chasing the stallion like so that's a darwinian outlook so i went at ty like i we were walking to the locker room and i'm like you're probably this is probably your last game ever dressing and like fast forward he's like voted above me in the player rankings he had a great season he was up for uh-huh. game of the year i mean he's a stud and yeah like, i respect him like he clapped back at me and like uh-huh. and that's fun and, and i don't really know him but i don't get the vibe that he's the type that like takes that stuff off the field or out of the locker room mm-hmm. and that's the only place where i sometimes get bummed and it's probably a flaw of mine of like i'm sensitive like this but like i don't need to be buddy buddy with everybody in the league but like i i, res- I like to think i respect everybody mm-hmm. so i may talk trash and i may get honest of my assessment of your game or your whatever mm-hmm. your style or anything yeah um but at the end of the day like i i understand like we all worked really hard to make it here and you don't make it here if you didn't and there's like a part of it where it's like i'm not gonna i don't necessarily i don't need to be your friend but I'm not going to, like, walk around and bash you and think you're a bad person and, tr- like, yeah. anything like that. Um, and I think most guys in pro lacrosse do that well. Like, a, mm-hmm. a guy who I, like, have always looked up to and have started to build a relationship with that I know your buddies with is Kevin Understein. Mm-hmm. And, like, I always thought he did that so well. Like, oh, yeah, he's, he's good at but that. But then, like, you get to know him, and, like, he's a great guy, and he doesn't, like, take things personally or take things off the field. Definitely. And that's an important part of it to me that, like, I guess when, when I say cringeworthy, like, when I get bummed is when, like, mm-hmm. somebody's, at, like, actually like hurt by it or wants to like carry it into something that it's not it's yeah and it's also like there there is a a sharp distinction between who you are as a player and you as a human being like if when you say to a guy listen you're like the fourth guy like you're not gonna play again he might be the best dude you might see him after the game and you're like yo i really torched you but I, like I want to hang out with some you, of my then... best friends have come from that. I'm like Kevin Cooper is a guy who's like one of my closest friends in lacrosse now, and I mean that's the, the closest I've ever been to a fight on the field was with him. I'm like you know because he's like me, yeah. so we're both trying to be alphas and we're uh-huh. button heads, but then neither of us took it off field, and all of a sudden we get to know each other and like you you hit it off. So like that's a fun part of it, and that was again I talked about my dad before, but that's something he instilled in me. Like you have those things that you remember your parents saying all the time as a kid. And, like, whatever, one for my parents was, like, appreciate what you recognize and appreciate all that we have and that mm-hmm. you have. And then something in my lacrosse life was my dad always preached, be the meanest guy on the field, the nicest guy off the field. Like, mm-hmm. he never punished me for mixing it up and talking trash. Like, he was, like, you know, the tribe to, I think, obviously, if you cross lines or you get penalties and you're hurting your team, it's not a good thing. But he always preached, like, that mentality. So I think I've just always had it. And mm-hmm. I think my position is conducive to it. Um, again, I think if you're the ex-attackman and the quarterback of the team, like you're probably not. It's probably not a healthy thing for you to just be talking smack all the time. But yeah. when you're a defensive player who's strapping for ground balls and who's in the middle of the field, it's a good place where you can kind of mix it up. And it also is like a vessel for honesty, for sure. Like, and everyone's not friends. No, do you know what I mean? No. And th- like I said, that that can be a downside is when because lacrosse is such a, a tight knit community it loses a bit of the fire because like people have been traded to this team and that team and everyone knows each other but everyone doesn't like each other no. and that doesn't mean that like people are mortal enemies but like you're not friends with anyone that's an inherent part of competition and like a league so i've always been a 
huge fan, like like you said, Kevin Arnerstein, a guy who just tells the truth. <laughs> so that in a way, shit talk is, I think this, and I'm going to say it. And like I said, when it's not that, it's contrived, and you're not a good shit talker. That's right. It's like when you're a good shit talker, yeah. you're basically, yeah, and you're yeah. also the mouthpiece of a dozen other guys who are thinking the same thing. Yeah. And those dozen are like, did you hear what he said? We all think that. A hundred percent. But and, and I play with a guy right now, Dominique Alexander, who's mm-hmm. like excellent at it. And so like in ways there's been times where I lay off a little bit. Because he's because he, I mean, and he's better than me at it. Like yeah. he is so clever. It's a tag team, man. And he's loud. And uh-huh. he's, so like I, I certainly still got involved in plenty of it this year and had my moments. But like there was times where just like you said, I'm like, Neek's yelling exactly what I want to be mm-hmm. saying right now. So yeah, exactly. Well, and those out. are the those are the guys who, right? When they they're like the mouthpiece for the sentiment of a team. Not always, but those are the good shit talkers. Are the ones who are right. speaking a dozen men's men's thoughts. And and you know what else is is become you know, a lot of guys want to get on social media and talk about themselves or other people all the time. And it's like, mm-hmm. but then get on the field and either a act a buddy buddy or b just not speak up you mm-hmm. know and so it's like I'd rather so if you're gonna talk shit on the comment you better say and it I would just life. rather not do it in the comment and just say it on the field when it's not in front of a thousand kids who can hear us and it's just us talking like if, yeah. you know if you if, like I just think there's there just what you said there's like this honesty release you get from like having those conversations of like I'm gonna look the person in the face and like tell them what my problem with them is or yeah. my honest assessment and let's just see where this goes exactly and, and we have helmets on and this isn't the NLL you can't rip my helmet off and uh-huh. beat the crap out of me yeah so the fight will only go so far <laughs> but it is also amazing that shit talk is an avenue that you, how good you are as a player doesn't go so if someone doesn't like you off the field or you do certain things off the field that aren't exactly, you know, looked on kindly, you can say that, right? And it's like, yeah, you're going to go three and three today, but, yeah, you know, yeah. every every minute of the day, but this game, here's what people are thinking about you. Yeah. And that, sure. that's what pierces. I, sure. I don't, I think things like you're a bad, pl- like whatever, you're, you're going to be cut from the team. You're not even that good. The person probably already knows that. Right. But when you dagger them with, Hey, here's what everyone thinks. Do do do. That's where it becomes like you might lose a friend, For but sure. it becomes in a way that's brutal honesty. Yep. It's like, and that's why like your talent at lacro- at any sport, people become the more talented you are at anything, the less honest people are with you, right? Sure. Because you have that yep aura about you. Yep. So the field is an area where. No filters. It's, I'll shake your hand after, but during the game, yeah, there's going to be some darts coming at you, and <laughs> we might not be friends after. Yeah. But as long as it's honest and it's what you really feel and it's not anything like too personal, I, I've always, like, if, if my team didn't have someone like that, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah, yeah, you need it. And, and I mean, there, I, do think you, I, I do think it serves a purpose, and there's, you know, a lot, if you look at most of the great teams in sports, in any sports, they have a guy or two that bring that aspect to the team. That mm-hmm. have that edge and that, you know, I think really at its core, it's an energy creator. Mm-hmm. Whether it's bringing energy to yourself or for your team, mainly deflating or, them, <laughs> or sucking energy out of somebody else, right? Like yeah. where you're gonna like now they're thinking about you instead of the game or things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and just like playing, I think you get better at it with age and you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, you you not all shit talk is successful, and you have yeah. sometimes where you say something like you I said that words. you end up not yeah. proud of, or you eat your words, but you learn how to try to. You know, just like sometimes I go shoot and it's not a good shot. Like you're mm-hmm. not gonna hit land every time, but you yeah. learn 
what you start to have a feel for the game and oh this would actually probably be a good time for me to set a tone or this would you know Mm -hmm. and and I think you get better at it with that and then you know if you do it well uh, there's probably a value add to it yeah more than anything else though dude it's fun yeah and I think it's a unique (laughs) mindset or perspective from you because you are such a nice guy right it's like anyone who knows you is not like thinking that you're morally corrupt but sometimes you just and the, then the truth on the is the truth ever really that bad? It's yeah, like if you right. say the truth, it's like that guy's mean. No, he, everyone thinks that. That's right. He just said what? Say, say the truth and go after the wounded zebra. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the way to be mean is by being a bad shit talker. By being a good one is by speaking like outright truth almost. Yeah. So you're just a unique case study in that because anyone who knows you wouldn't ever be like not a good dude, but you have particularly effective shit talk. I'd like to be in that discussion as well because I'm pretty piercing globally <laughs> um, and there are a few guys in the league who are who are good at it um, I, I, I'm the PLL has done this mic'd up thing mm-hmm. a lot of it is the, is the kind that we're not talking about it's contrived and it's forced because they're mic'd up they're micing up the wrong guys yeah they need to mic up the real like yeah well the, the, to 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 not to be a, a defend the shield guy like to just getting behind the league, but I think there's mm-hmm. there's they're learning and figuring that out because I think they did have some things early on where it was like well it might be too personal where it was like yeah f bombs are flying left and right and yeah. it's like you can't you can only you know there's there's still a right way to present the sport and like I think at times or like, maybe just mic up no one players got carried away but mm-hmm. you know they're they're really like attacking the X's and O's and they're trying to mic up. But like for example, you mic up me compared to you mic up a close defenseman. I think one thing that I figured out quick was like I think I communicate a lot in games, but there's also a lot of times where I just had to sprint from the box, like I sprint on offense yeah, to the box, back top. on D, and like I'm catching my breath, and that's where mm-hmm. like I lean on Matt McMahon and Adam Gittleman to communicate. And so like from a learning the game aspect, you know, a quieter close defenseman like a Matt McMahon for us, or like a big one they mic'd up a lot was Glazner for the Redwoods, who's an excellent communicator, like. That's really entertaining, I think, to people who From are... From Yeah, or like LaCroix, yeah. you know... LaCroix. It wouldn't be a good look, now that I'm thinking, to mic up people being like... Totally. And like you know, at, your at, wife is... At, tra- at training like, camp, I had like a scrimmage where I was like going at Miles Jones, the whole scrimmage. Uh-huh. And, and like, you guys are good friends. MJ is my guy. And uh-huh. Like, he's such a challenging cover for me, but like mm-hmm. always something I've done when I've covered him, and he knows it, we've talked about it, is like, I go at him verbally, and I like, mm-hmm. it's just, for whatever reason, he's a guy. So... I finished a game where I was like really on one. We were playing well and whatever. And you know, the the PLL guys come up to me and they're like, That was awesome. Like, we're probably gonna put a mic on you week one. Like I think early on in the season, like they were like, Let's look for this. Oh, really? But then I think they got some feedback from early games. It was like, Hey, like some of this is again the the the, the language and different things yeah. for the for the audience. Too personal. It's, it's good to get some of it because people that are our age and things like that enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But there's also still a lot of young people watching, and there's like a balance there. If you watch like NFL mic'd up, it's literally nothing besides like, woo, yeah, let's, let's go. go. Boom, boom. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's, I think they're trying to find that balance of like, mm-hmm. let's get real and let's show real stuff, but we yeah. also need to cater to a wide audience and we need to make mm-hmm. sure that we're. Yeah. You know, I told you last night my one recommendation, and I said it was uh, kind of ironic that I'm. Um, like the whole social media act, like the, how miking people up that much there's a line right it's like well that's too invasive on the game and then it's turning people into like unauthentic versions of themselves where they're 
they're mic'd up, and when you're mic'd up or a camera's on, most people are not themselves, sure. right? They're they're becoming, they're saying what they think ought to be said, yeah, yeah, or that yeah. will be a soundbite or whatever. Yeah. But I do think a sixth segment would be Scott Ratliff is guarding Miles Jones, and then leading up to the game, they're interviewing you about your plans and tactics and whatnot, and then they mic you up that game. Right. And then... Like you said, you talk about yeah, eating be, well, your that, words. What you're talking about is like it's creating a story, right? It's, and it, that's, well, that's good television. And making that's... people honest, right? If yeah, Miles yeah. is like, I'm going to drop three on Scott, yeah, then he doesn't. Or if you're like, Miles isn't going to score, and then he does, that's where you find true dialogue, right? It's like anyone can say this and that, but when you have a build-up to it, I feel like yeah. that would be a good and, segment. And I so think PLL this is the, though, this make is, it happen. yeah. Are you listening, Paul, Mike? <laughs> I, but I think this is the conundrum in, in pro sports is it's entertainment, but then there's also this battle of of winning. And like when mm-hmm. you're like WWE, it's you can do nothing but create storylines and you can mm-hmm. tell the guys what to say. But when you're, you know, when the league is telling you, hey, like part of what's going to make us sell are these mics and these storylines and your trash talk and those things. Mm-hmm. But then you're... Is that said? Is that... Yeah, I think I, they, they certainly aren't telling anybody to do anything besides beat themselves. But it's, it's kind but of... But they're a, saying, we're like we're not going to punish you for it. Like, yeah. right? like It's like, listen, like you guys put a lot of work in and we want you guys to showcase your personalities. Like mm-hmm. We want you to, to fly around and if that's shit talk, if that's a fight, like we'll, we'll deal with it. But like, do you think feel that, confident to, to... That that kind of brings out like hyperbolized versions of people or do you uh, think that yeah. most people well, are so, so And this is the point I was going to get at. I think... Early, maybe that does happen, and and then it settles in. To, to immaturity, I, I think it happens. Like if you're an immature player, then it's gonna happen. Then you're gonna do that. But yeah. then, like, I can only speak to my team in our locker room when we talk about the type of team and the type of culture we want to have. That outweighs any storyline. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's if you're gonna have a chance at winning a championship, like that has to take precedence. And mm-hmm. the culture that we want is not loud, is not barking, is not jersey sales and whatever it's let's win and let's be unselfish and let's create a culture of sacrifice so i think any pro sport that's not staged again it's not wwe mm-hmm. you run into that where the social media team in the league is doing everything they can in the media to create storylines because you need those and that's what sells but then there's this battle where the, the leaders of the team and the coaches are trying to crush storylines because they're trying to keep the focus on the important thing so mm-hmm. that i think happened in the pll season and i do think that Myself included, I'm not trying to point at other players and say other guys are doing this. I think me and probably lots of others, you're excited about the platform that you have and you want to participate and you do want to put your personality out there to grow your exposure, to do whatever it is that you want to do. So it's not that you even consciously or in, in you know with intent like decide I'm going to act or behave a certain way but you want to take advantage of this opportunity and this exposure so like it probably did bring out some different behavior in me or in anybody mm-hmm. but then once you get into the trenches and you're so, with your team um, and you're in your locker room that goes away and you start to focus on mm-hmm. winning over yeah. everything else and and I think now as we go forward that's going to just get better and better because more guys are going to be more used to I mean we never had the exposure in MLL and in mm-hmm. the PLL you walk off a bus and there's a camera in your face. Mm-hmm. You walk into the locker room, there's a camera in your face. There's mics on you constantly. There, so it, there was an adjustment period, and it's any athlete or anybody who tells you they're not aware of it when they're mic'd up or whatever, like that's a lie. You are. So you have to learn how to deal with mm-hmm. that and still keep the main thing the main thing and focus on yeah. like what's important instead of like 
having a sick sound bite. Yeah. So, Are you saying that the MLL did poor media? Did a poor <laughs> job with that? Or <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, because I think they did quite well. Um, do you? Uh, no comment back. Um, so one of your teammates on the Archers is Will Manny, um, who's a Long Island guy, played at the, the rival high school to the school I was at, and you guys have some sort of like yeah. weird connection. Yeah. And part of me feels like it's just because you're both so good, but there's something even beyond that, right? It's like yeah, you is. and him are both good enough to that. If someone's good on the other end, it's going to be a good connection, but I think you guys are like a, some sort of special duo. Yep. Um, is it, how, how did that de- I mean, I know you got drafted to Boston and played with them, but was that like there right away, or was yeah. that something that you know, took some it's, fostering? It's hard to say, because like, you can play with other great players that have, I mean, a lot of the same skill set as well, and I mm-hmm. don't, I'm not able to connect with them the same way. So yeah. I think there is just something about the way we both see the game. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut similarly, yeah. and... You know, we we yeah we, we see the game the same way, so there is something special with him. Like I would be I would be stupid not to, to mm-hmm. say that. I mean, if you look back at my my season that, that I've played with him, eighty to eighty five percent of my points are scoring yeah. from passes from him or mm-hmm. throwing it to Feeding him. It to him yeah. And um, it started in Vale after the two thousand twelve Loyola won the championship. UMass had a huge season. Will was a tour and finalist. Mm-hmm. We both got like picked up to a Vale team and we played together. And I giggle because like and I'm, I I mean. I'll make fun of Will for this because he's like a little lax nerd at the time and still is. And, uh, at the time. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, he was like, I remember we like had like a little practice before Vail, right? And like I'm mm-hmm. on my like championship high horse. I'm like, practice, what are we doing here? Like mm-hmm. show up and yeah. um, I say to Will, I'm like, you know, he's the lefty attackman or whatever. I'm like, yo, like I like to pass it to the lefty. This is what we did at Loyola. Like I pass it to the lefty attackman, I fake sub and I cut. And, like, before I could finish the statement, he was like, hey, 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 I know your game. And I was like, I made fun of him. I was like, that was a lame mistake. Meaning he had, like, like He was like, he already knew what I like to do. But that's how Will is, and that's why he's great. Like, he's uh-huh. a student he, of the game. Yeah. He watches an insane amount of film. And uh-huh. That's why he's a great coach. Like, he'll watch yeah. high school highlight tapes for hours mm-hmm. and stuff. So, like, but, like, at the time, I was like, like, <laughs> chill, dude. Like, yeah. I haven't seen you play, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah, it's Vail. Looking to experience the local dive yeah. bar. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... But but no, I, I respected him as a plumber. He was one of the best players in the country. Yeah, it was cool for He's me for him to say to that when uh-huh. he was like, "I know your game, man. I know you like to cut. Like I'm gonna feed you the ball." And in that Vale tournament, like he found me for three or four cuts for mm. goals. So then we get drafted together, and you know the type of teammate Will is, and and I think what makes him special. And I can record my own hour podcast on this because I like. He is. He's been a special teammate for me, and like he's elevated my career because I've gotten to play with him. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Like my breakout year in 2015. I mean, Will believes in his teammates and his friends more than anybody I've ever played with in my life. Like mm-hmm. if if he believes in you, I mean, I could cut a hundred times and not be open. He'll feed me the ball because he believes I'm gonna catch it, and like that made me better. And it made yeah, me- you started throwing those to him. It made me believe in myself that way, where mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm gonna send a 40 yard skip pass to him, and and so he like instilled a lot of self belief in me, which mm-hmm. was a really cool thing. Like I was drafted higher than him, and and he sat a game. The, out, the cannons brought me right into play, and the, and he sat a game before. And, Are you guys the same age? Yeah, we were the same year, and and, and he was a Tawarden finalist, but you know people thought he was undersized and he wasn't gonna, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he just had that ability to like believe in himself and believe in the people around him. And he like propelled me into believing in myself to become the leader and player I am. Mm -hmm. And then we've just, man, like after we stopped playing together, we've just like all-star games. We just, the play, just like the plays happen unconsciously, but Mm -hmm. we just connect. Like he, when I get the ball and cross midfield line, my eyes are trained to go towards his side of the field and then he's gifted at setting up back cuts. And, yeah, he's so good at that, that backdoor cut. So I find him on those, and then, you know, I'm good at the yo-yo it's cuts. It's such a sliver of, of room when you throw it. Like, I watched a few of them uh, earlier today. They're barely there. And it kind of, what you said resonates, because it, it has to be, like, a level of trust where it was borderline a bad pass. Right. Meaning, like, a risky pass. I mean, a lot of times it is with him and I. Like yeah, we, but we, they always work. It's they, like, that. that's why, like... And that, you're going to get me into the, you know, back into the mystical stuff here, but, like, there's an energy there mm-hmm. where it's like, for whatever reason, I throw him the ball and it just drifts to the perfect place. And, then mm-hmm. it, like, it's, you know what I mean? And I'm like, how did I throw that pass? Like, I don't, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't throw passes. It's, like, it's got to be just a confidence. But it, it, it's there's definitely something there. Maybe maybe God's guiding that I thing? Mean, or? I don't, I think it's, uh, I, dude, I'm, I'm, it's energy. Like, yeah. there's energy fields that, you mm-hmm. know, I think that it's the law of attraction and it's, mm-hmm. like, uh, that belief I talked about, like, his belief in me to be a playmaker on offense helps me maybe mm-hmm. it's confidence to make those plays when he's involved like yeah. it's, it's just I think it you know I mean I'm not either Scott Radliff or Will Manny but it, it definitely look from the outside looking in feels like there's a comfortability where you get a thoughtless version of both of you totally. where it's like flow state yeah. out of both of you and just some of these backdoor passes are bad ideas yeah. <laughs> until they happen yeah. right yeah. it's like a bad idea until it gets into his stick and then it's it like in. damn yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so it's yeah. like and but i think like the same thing like when he you know when i when i cut and he throws the ball like and he throws it to me when i'm not open mm-hmm. there's like this added pressure for me to catch it because it's coming from him and i'm like oh, this is one of will and i's plays yeah yeah, like, yeah. I, but you don't think about it. you don't but like i yeah. think subconsciously you do and yeah you, and you just gotcha. you know like because I've played with other great players where I have great friendships mm-hmm. the same way I do with Will, but there's just there is just something different about yeah. playing with him for me, and and um, you know it's been that's been really cool this year to get to play with him again, and I think our personalities are different, but we're we're great friends, and our you know our leadership styles are different. Like he's like we call him Chippy, like he's like Long Island, like mm-hmm. very straightforward, right? And I'm you know like let's all yeah, love everybody, and, and and so like we balance each other out in certain ways, but more than anything, you get back to it like. Will is talented as hell. Yeah. Well, I think that's... I think the biggest part is that the two nodes on that connection are extremely talented. Yeah, and, but I think and you see, guys like have Like, both a of us are undersized for our position. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's undersized. Yeah, both he's a great example of, of what, like, regardless of what a, uh, players come into the sport, Will Manny's never going to be a not good player. No, <laughs> right? It doesn't like, matter. He's... Yeah, exactly. You can, you can he's stick just, him like, in so jitterbuggy. He's just good. And, yeah. And he's... But that's because I think, like I said, like we both, and, and you're like this too, and I thought you and I had really good connection as well playing together for these mm-hmm. same reasons. Yeah, like yeah. We're good because we're smart. Like I'm athletic, sure, but I'm not athletic enough to just like, if I wasn't a smart player, I wouldn't be good. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's, um, and I'm getting off topic, but I see that in the, the guys that I train with that play other pro sports. It's not the fastest, biggest, strongest that are the best players. It's mm-hmm. just not. Like yeah. the, the probably the most consistent two best guys that train in the area that I do are Eric Berry 
and a guy named Casey Hayward who's a corner for the Chargers, and Eric Berry is a safety for the Chiefs, and they're, they're both pro bowlers every year. And in these workouts, there's dudes who, who are going to go play in the XFL who are faster, stronger, uh-huh. bigger. But they just read the game. Yeah, and you talk to them, yeah, they're in the right places, and they mm-hmm. have the subtleties in there. Yeah. So, like, that, I'll, I'll never believe that that's not the most important part to being yeah. successful as an athlete. Like, you have to be smart, and Will is such a smart player. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he flashes his stick, like... He shows me his cut before he makes it by flashing a stick, and we make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And like, there's these like little subtleties that um, not every pro player has. I mean, they no, really don't. Definitely. And he's got him at I think as high a level of, of, as exactly. anybody. And I'm able to. He's got to both of you have a un, un like you can't explain like we talked about last night. Both of you are a talent that you can try to spit some rationalizations as to why you have the the mindset. Yeah, it's that you were born with a, a gift of uh, reading the game. Sure. And any story about how you earned that is probably a lie. Is that <laughs> right. you were, yeah, is that you're, and I talked about last night that world-renowned chess player Magnus Carlsen, he says, like, I don't, he doesn't play the game of trying to say why he's so good. He yeah. says, I'm, I'm, I just see know, it. Exactly. And like, in, in a lot of ways, when people try to explain their own talent, it becomes disingenuous because it's retrospectively done. That's right. It's like, you're, you guys are just good together. And, and I asked you the question and you came up with some reasons, but there's something beyond anything that was... Yeah, I said the energy. Expl- ex- the yeah, energy exactly. Yeah. And I didn't want you to get too woo-woo up in here. <laughs> yeah, but like, but it is. And that's what, like, it, that is true. And yeah. That's why I said, like, you're both good on your own but there's something there about that connection that like whoa yeah these two dudes are uh yep. and, and are kind it's of- cool because we play on a team with you know i think two other guys who are similar in that way which is which is tom schreiber and marcus Holm. yeah I mean, and again i mean they're, they're both decent freaks team, decent lineup they're both freaks like it's uh-huh. not like they're not talented and good but like they connect better together yeah. than they do with other players it's mm-hmm. just like a thing yeah. And so I think mutually, like, we as kind of four leaders on the team, like, look at each other that way, and it's like, it's cool. It's like, I can relate to what you two have because we have it, yeah. and let's try to figure out how we can all get it together. And, you know, I don't know that we've gotten there yet, but that's yeah. what's fun about team it's sports. It's like Holman and, gets a goal off of a Schreiber pass, and it's a celebration, but then you look at Will, and you're like, we got to get ours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I could never keep up. I mean, the three of them together, frankly, are insane. I told you, insane, I, had, I had my money I on the uh, archers winning the PLL title, but... Next year, this upcoming year. Yeah, it's, um, it's so hard to win. That goes back to what I mean. Winning is, is just, it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And the, our margin for error is so small. And, and uh, yeah, next year. You got, yeah, you'll win next year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm looking to put money Bet on it. it. Yeah. Um, let's talk just to, to close things out here on, I think, an area of the sport that bleeds beyond the sport, but also is most important to us within the sport is like the creativity of it. So, you're creative. You're good with your stick, but you're also like, you've done with the position. Not that there haven't been other people who have been great at offense too, but like there's a creativity beyond what you do with your stick or doing something cool in like how you've morphed the position. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, in that you've been like, I can do offense or defense. Um, it, speak to that. Like, what do, do you value that? Is that? Yeah, I mean that's. I like believe a lot of like my lacrosse viewpoint comes from and ignorance isn't the right word, but like when I grew up in Georgia, I, like that's just how you, there weren't a lot of great players. There were some, there weren't a lot, and there weren't a ton of great coaches. And it was just like that's just what you did. Like there wasn't specialization. Like I was just like I mm-hmm. 
played whatever. I played offense, defense, long pole, short pole, like just. And this is through varsity high school, where like a kid who goes grows up where you grew up in Long Island or in Baltimore or wherever, like you don't do that because we have great players that are position and it looks a lot more like what a college team looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some part of me that just happened into that where it's like this is where I grew up yeah. and this is what I was asked to do like a multifaceted my role was to be uh, everything like mm-hmm. I could have been probably the best attackman midi or defenseman on my high school team and at times I did all three of them or whatever mm-hmm. so I think that that's part of it but um you know beyond that I've been around coaches and players and like you know I, I've mentioned we've talked a lot about Adam Gittleman like he's a guy who looks at goalie the goalie position in that way where he's like why just be what everybody thinks a goalie should be like goalies should have this many saves why can't I have two cost turnovers and five ground balls on top mm-hmm. of having 10 or 15 saves and now I'm adding more value and again that goes back to a lot of my lacrosse goes back to what my dad taught me and he's like take face-offs play offense play defense shoot overhand shoot behind the back know how to do everything so that you can be anything and you know I was lucky enough to play at Loyola for coaches who preach the same stuff Matt Duan was was very similar with hey if this is he never you know what I appreciated about my coaches at Loyola was they never, and I think this is a huge problem in coaching and especially Division One college coaching at the highest level, and those guys are way better coaches than me, so what do I know? But here's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> they, they never tried to change players. They, they, our coaches at Loyola saw what we were good at and taught us how to be better at mm-hmm. that and how to play in the way that like we could play instead of saying, like, you're here now, you fit into this system when you're a square and it's a triangle like, yeah. or whatever, right? So... I, I'm lucky to, to have played for the people I played for that by the time I got to the pros, like, I knew who I was and, like, mm-hmm. I was, like, I'm a two-way player or yeah. whatever, you know, so... Which is perfectly suited for professional lacrosse. It, Not only it, it, in it the is. valuability on the field, but it's the most exciting thing to watch, totally. right? Yep. It's like, I wish I could go back on D and do anything, yeah, but well, I can't. It's not that exciting. The yeah. D part of it's really not that exciting, <laughs> so don't. I just mean my versatility is about as limited as one yeah, can be. Yeah, so no, I, I do try to look at it like that, and, and I told you that it's like one of my big big three for things that I think lacrosse promotes is, like I told you, mm-hmm. community, discipline, and creativity, mm-hmm. because... Um, it is a creative game inherently, and let I me mean, look at Lyle Thompson. Yeah, I was going to say. From my money, is is you know Tom Schreiber and Matt Rambo. Like, there's a group of players who are the best players in the world. I'm not sure. Any given day, I tell agree you who with the best what you're about is, to but say. Like, yeah. Lyle is probably the purest, best lacrosse player on earth. Exactly, he and is uncalculated. He doesn't do to... anything that a youth coach would teach a yeah. kid to do. You know, he's he's creative, and he. Yeah. I believe in his value for the game, and and Lyle's got. I mean, his value for for what's important in life and things. And I don't know him as well as I'd like to, but from what you see him put out, and from the times I have met him, mm-hmm. um, I think he's got great perspective, and it's all the reason that he's so yeah. special. But as a player, he's the most creative player there is. Yeah, and he's he's that balance between almost like you're talking about hill running, between taking it to a defenseman and reactivity, like. Yep. He, he's so in the zone that what he's doing is not only a product of his own intention but by what's thrown at him yep. that like he's not thinking a thing he's just like the like purest of the moment like Mikey Powell had a lot of that he in did him too he but did. like and, and even even Casey Powell I mean had, yeah all you know, I mean great to the game like and we could go, obviously go uh, yeah day. any of those guys are on the list but but, that, but that's how you're supposed to play this sport yeah you know? but and, Lyle has a thing about him where he is the most skilled and talented and fun to watch and creative with his stick, but he'll do things with his stick sometimes that is, it almost doesn't even look good, but it, it's what the situation called for. Yeah, and it'll be like this. Shovel. And it's like, it's yeah. awkward, but he he's not. He's reacting. Yeah, he's not like, 
planning things and uh, doing what basically is is encoded in him. He's he's react. He's can do anything with the stick, and in a way that that's rare because most of the time he looks like poetry in action. That's but sometimes he'll do that, it. and it lets you know that he's willing to do whatever the situation right. calls, calls for. And uh, I had a feeling that you were gonna bring him up because I mean, he it's, is it's, like yeah the, you want to speak to the creativity of the game it's, yeah you watch, he's the pinnacle watch him of play. exactly yeah, and, and so and it's funny because I think he's younger than me but like there's probably no player like in my adult life that mm-hmm. I like admired more it's just yeah. like watching him is like just like you said it's poetry it's, exactly it's art and, when, yeah. and like again I'm gonna get back into woo woo land but like mm-hmm. I view it as art like lacrosse is an expression of yourself and yeah. you can see people's personality in their style you watch me play and you see maybe some of my at times overly confident self and my like enthusiastic self and the way I celebrate and the way I want to do everything and like mm-hmm. it speaks to my personality same with you I mean your insane stick skills and, and some of the things you do with your stick it speaks to the way that you kind of are like you can yeah, trying to... you can watch somebody play and you, I'm not saying you know everything about them but you can like yeah. see personality in the cross and, dying and, and do I don't think different. that <laughs> that's every sport I don't know it, ha- that, it like, definitely does I think hockey I think, and lacrosse are yeah. two that provide and, and I think basketball is another one that in ways can, can have some individualism mm-hmm. in your style of play mm-hmm. um, but I, I really think that's a cool part of lacrosse and again it goes back to why I think it's such a gift to give somebody the game of lacrosse because I was like really shy as a kid like I wasn't far from the most popular kid in high school and I'm not trying to sit here and paint a story like I'm getting bullied but nothing like that but mm-hmm. like I just wasn't like super confident lacrosse was not like the sport that I was really good at was not the cool sport at my high school growing yeah. up in Georgia so like I you know I'd go through the motions but like lacrosse was always a place where I could express myself and like mm-hmm. by the time I got to college I was super confident because I learned how to like express myself and figure out my own style of being and I think a lot of that came from lacrosse and like yeah. you know the stick and just like Definitely. playing with it and learning it and figuring out how I like to use it and watching Mike Powell and watching Brody Merrill and mm-hmm. you know my dad and like even my dad like what an advantage to have a parent who played because like we'd have a catch in the front yard and where like a lot of kids grow up with like their parent might have had a baseball glove mm-hmm. like my dad's like yeah tossing it toe dragging flipping it behind his back and throwing it to me so like mm-hmm. you know young rats watching that like ooh like yeah. I start spinning my stick and yeah, like, yeah, believing yeah. that I can play that <laughs> way and like so the creative aspect of the sports it's you know it's huge to me and it's it's why I think it's so fun and yeah. you know there's so many great coaches in this game like the best coaches I have that they encourage creativity it's not it's not definitely. A, do things a certain way it's learn the fundamentals so that you have the ability to play the game this certain way definitely you know? and i think it would probably be broken down like a cre- a more creative mind that like seeks that unique expression would probably be like lyle's my favorite player but then someone who maybe didn't have that wasn't their style or maybe didn't have the yeah. capacity would like a guy who got it done by more i take it to you means right yeah. it's like like a, a Rambo. Rambo yeah, does what Rob he's going to do. A Rob. A question yeah. mark. And there's, exactly. and there's beauty in that. There's beauty in discipline. There's beauty in the fact that totally. he can... I've never went to 5-5 five and five and done a move. Yeah. I'm like, I can't go up there. I get nervous. <laughs> Just how planned it is. Yeah, I can't yeah, do it. Yeah. But then I watch Lyle, yeah. and it's a some sort of intersection between salt in my wound and admiration, where I'm like... yeah. That is what I was going for the whole time, but I can't do it nearly as well as this gentleman is doing it. I think something about him that people don't realize too is is the the athleticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, some I mean, of the stuff that he does he's, in indoor, and he's, and he's, he's big, his agility, and strong and fast. Like that was the wiry. first thing that, that he's a wiry individual. I realized the first time I had to cover him, I was like, he he's leaning on me, and he's 
taller than me and he's stronger than me and he's Dude. probably faster. And when he like he'll bunch you off, step back and then pull yeah. it under, like he's a wiry. But I got him. I, if you're listening, Lyle, I have stripped you. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, but, he's not used to the long pulls. That's where uh, you get those box guys. Sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, you know, they But it's little... spot on because he's he's a guy. He he's it, it's almost synonymous with the way you're so good at O that people don't recognize how good you are at D is he's so good at trickery and beating you with lack of speed and creativity yeah, you that you don't know that he could blow by you. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's a, a similar type of thing with him. And he's one. Of, I mean, he is my favorite to watch these days. And like I said, it's a it's a a dual yeah. minded thing where I'm like, God damn, yeah, this well, guy's got it. And I, dude, I go through that with everybody though, because it's like I still can't fight back the desire that like I want to be the best. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you know watch and you appreciate but there's still that party that's like well it's nice but I'm ni- I'm nicer <laughs> <laughs> well of course we're both better than Lyle Thompson <laughs> I mean, no doubt. yeah yeah um no I'm, I'm, I definitely hear you and that's why I made sure to emphasize like the bitterness and I think that that's right. to, to say that you're not competitive with other people is disingenuous for like a truly competitive mind for it's sure like, but that goes back to the shit talk you can you can be competitive but still like enjoy yeah your it, opponent also first of all the best thing for me has been being not playing because like I got no skin in the game it, you know what I mean if you told me you can't play pro lacrosse I'd be like yeah I don't <laughs> you well, know but, what I mean like and it's I was, not a thing for I me actually, anymore but, and, and I, but being able wrong, to but watch from the outside I'm saying and not have it. it but I was going to ask you about that because you know like what has that been like not playing? Because there's there's part of me that's like, you know, this is going to be hard. Like, uh-huh. I, I, I'm mentally prepared. Just like you're saying, the next version is better. Like, I'm telling myself, like, it's going to be fine. And I'm going to uh-huh. move right on. But then there's, like, this competitive part of me that, like, it kills me the second I start to think maybe other people are starting to become better than me. Or, mm-hmm. be, like, and I think every athlete goes through that. So what has your experience been like with not uh, playing this it, year? And, like, it's It hasn't been too big. I mean, it's been, I think the biggest hit for me has been that that was a big flow state, meditative, creative, physical outlet for me that enhanced everything else that I did. It was like, I do a lot of writing, but this was like the wheels of the of the car yeah. that, that allowed me to do it well. And it becomes harder and harder to get, like, like you said, how do you get into a flow state or, well, you run in the trees yeah. or you play lacrosse. And like, I don't do that anymore. And that's why I admitted the sad fact that when I bike, I try to find yeah, trees yeah. to Dodging move. <laughs> and, like, it's been very hard in that regard. But I, I, I part of me is, like, I, I guess there's, like, a 10% jealousy of not playing anymore. But also, like, 90%. I, I never was the type of person who, like, hated people for that. Yeah. Like, I'm competitive, but... I was pretty objective about uh, if yeah, you score more points than me, then there she goes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it didn't matter to me in that regard. Yeah. But um, the upside has been that, like, I just get to be, like, a fan of the sport. Yeah. And being competing with someone kind of mur- it makes those waters murky. And there's no murkiness anymore. I no, kind it's of have super a more- murky. It's, it's like I can support like indoor lacrosse I can watch NLL uh, yeah, and I'm but, a fan yeah. but like but, yeah. but then like the outdoor players that do well I'm like well I don't know exactly I could do that so <laughs> I'm no longer burdened with that yeah. and it's uh, but now I'm, I'm tasked with trying to find that like creative outlet in which I've always been 
like of the mind I valued that creativity a little bit more and what I do like in lacrosse and with my stick I've always felt like it is an extension of who I am off the field yeah, right so it's like there are some people who are so creative with their stick and then you talk to them and they're it's like damn like, yeah like how who? Do you, what like who well I'm just saying I don't want to name names <laughs> know, but I'm it's kidding. like I'm kidding. you think that there's some sort of like he's talking about you Marty more, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding I just mean like sometimes people can be so creative on the field but then you talk to them and they they don't find they, they don't get their rocks off of uh any other creativity outside of that that's the manifestation of their creativity but i've i've always had a lot outside of the game so i've like to use one of your terms leaned into that yeah um but i think i'm just out of shape is the is the worst thing yeah, is that like it's hard yeah I don't, I don't have like a physical outlet for me but i think like just to loop it back into what we were discussing is that like you are creative on the field but i think you're one of those people that have that outside of the field in a way that like some of your hobbies show it's like you're tattooed up not that that's a hobby but it kind of has a i don't care what you think mindset sure um and you do poetry you write poetry you have a harmonica that you're incredibly poor at playing (laughs) but like there is a need for for this you know what i mean that like you're still playing the sport and that's an outlet for you, but you still are trying to leak it into other... And, and I think that's new, probably newer for me than for, for you. Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, st- part of me that I've discovered later. Mm-hmm. But as, like, I've started to conceptualize, like, obviously it, it, you always know that you're going to stop playing someday. Um, but the more that I've... The more that lacrosse has empowered me to do what I want to do and pursue being who and what I want to be then the more I've started to like see creativity in other parts of my life Mm -hmm. and like I do see that as being a really important part of when I'm done playing what's going to be able to keep me fulfilled chicken and egg thing yeah because you you, like you start to just like you're saying you rely on that release and it goes we were talking about last night it's like dogs right Mm -hmm. if you take the dog out and exercise it then you bring it in it needs to chill the dog chills yeah if, if Leo hasn't been exercised and then we're trying to record this podcast, he's going to be barking the entire time, running laps. He's not going to be happy. He's going to be anxious. He's going to uh-huh. chew on stuff. So it's like that lacrosse for so long is that dog walk. Yeah. So now when it's not lacrosse anymore, like what is it that I'm going to do that's going to keep me from like being feeling like I'm cooped up all day and I'm not – like I don't yes. have that release or whatever. Exactly. So we're just like Leo. And, oh, I've, I've, I'm, we're both – we are Leo. But <laughs> yeah, like just it, it, that – rings true in so many ways because like even last night just having like a conversation with you a good conversation can get you into a state of like thoughtlessness and not worrying about what you were doing and it it is a it's a flow state similar to sports if it's a good conversation right that can like you can wake up like i woke up this morning i'm like ah yeah yeah i feel yeah slight headache but but i was (laughs) was like no but seriously like that it doesn't obviously the physical aspect is a bonus but doing something meditative is what I chase the most, yeah. right? And it's like lacrosse yeah. had that, and it had the physical aspect. Yeah, so for sure. now I'm mainly chasing the mental, but I, I should probably go on a run or something. Yeah. <laughs> so you were saying when I was living with you, at least the the seeds of you wanted to write a book, and then yeah. Recently, you've gotten into poetry writing. What 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 are we looking at moving forward? Yeah, that well, seems... well the, the, so the poetry writing I've like really actually done mm-hmm. on and off like my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, um, my uncle like it was something my uncle did and used to share with me, and I always did it. And you know, actually, growing up in Atlanta, like I was super into hip hop. So mm-hmm. you know, I 
write raps yeah, those are poems. freestyling and trying uh-huh. to do stuff like that when I was young and um you know, as I've gotten older, I think that the, I told you, like, living with you and just the desire to, you know, what I'm doing in leadership and personal development naturally kind of steers you towards, hey, write a book. Like, that's a great way to get these thoughts and these lessons out into the world. So, like, mm-hmm. there's that natural desire of, okay, I want to practice writing because obviously writing a book is hard, mm-hmm. right? And um, my mom recently, I, I told you, wrote and published a book. So, so much of my, like, professional career has mirrored hers and, and you know, I admire her a lot and, and she we share with each other and we have these deep conversations that you're talking about and things like that. So watching her go through that process at the same time with living living with you and seeing the way you went about your writing process, you know, it, it's, it inspired me to say, okay, let's try to take this seriously. Let's, let's have the courage to like do this and to start writing and to pursue mm-hmm. it. And as I went down the path, I just found myself coming back to poetry. Like that's what I, when I sit down to write and I have an idea, I find that I was expressing and still am, frankly, expressing my ideas better in the form of poems than I do when I try to write it into a story or things Mm -hmm. like that. So long term, you know, I'd love to write books someday and to be able to write a novel or to, you know, to write a a book on leadership and things like that. Um, And I still practice that. And it feels like practice when I when I sit down and I try to write longer form and, and get better at it. And I think that's what you have to do. Um, but the poetry feels more like what lacrosse feels like for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gotten to get connected with people who, who make music. And so songwriting becomes, you know, poems turn into songs and, and things like that. And so whether that stays a hobby for my entire life, I mean, I, 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 would, I would love to, to publish it. You know, mm-hmm. I have pages of them. I and mean, when I travel, it's something I focus on. And I like to try to write poems about every city that I go. And maybe there's a travel poetry book in there for me or, or whatever. But, what I like about that part of my life right now is I don't have destinations attached to it. Um, It's something that's important for me to do because I think it makes me better and it makes me reflect and it makes me think. And um, I like to, to share things that I believe in vulnerabilities in writing. And I think that that's really healthy. So I, I, I hold myself to to a certain amount of pressure around it, like make sure I'm doing it and and practicing it. Uh But at the same time, it's like, I'm not in a rush. Like if I keep learning and go experiencing that I'm going to have stories that people are going to want to hear about. And then maybe Mm -hmm. I will have enough practice writing that I can share them in a meaningful way for other people. So like, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where everyone starts, you know? Yeah. And and that's like what you helped me, I guess, to kind of like have the courage of like, you don't need a formal writing education. And, and my mom's always been like this too. Where mm-hmm. She's like, you don't, you know, I'm like, well, should I go back to school? Or she's like, you don't need to do that. Just start doing it. She's like, you'll learn everything you need to learn. Just figure it out mm-hmm. as you go. Yeah. And so that's like where I'm at. But, but I'm, I'm to the point where it's like, I'm willing to speak it. Like I write the poems. I Definitely. like to write songs. Uh-huh. I have intentions of trying to write books. Like this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to keep pursuing it. But one of the things you've talked about is it, that takes years. It's not like, yeah, it's a, you know, like I've have looked into self-publishing my poetry and like a lot of my poetry is of the genre of like self-help, of mm-hmm. live your best life, of whatever. So I'm like, you know, there's probably, I probably have 60 poems that fit a certain theme that I could put and publish, but then I sit down and start, you know, reading through my old poems and 
moving them over to say which ones could I actually publish and okay maybe there's only 40 of them that I really think are good enough and then when I read through those 40 I change them 15 times that mm-hmm. ends up taking three months yeah but like <laughs> yeah. T- t- by the time you actually get through them and then that's not enough for a book exactly. so then I'm like well I need to close my eyes for another two years and then open mm-hmm. up when I have yeah. 500 poems and then maybe I can pull out yeah. 60 you know so well, that's a beautiful part about like totally cr- like creative writing is that when you finish a project it's not, you know, you didn't just make the Uber app and Lyft is coming after you. That's like right. there's very there's almost no chance that someone is unless you're writing, you know, the Underground Railroad Harriet Tubman story yes, and like someone else could grab happened, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. if you're writing like straight out from your own mind that just put it on the shelf and then you yep. can improve it and then come back to it and it'll it'll be the same good right. old well, story. It's just it's a never ending it's just never ending process which yeah. again you explained to me you're like I remember it so vividly you're like you'll see start and then like <laughs> I started trying to write like right I had my book shine uh, yeah I was so excited yeah, yeah. about the shoe shine I remember it you stay stay tuned one day it's well, gonna come if it doesn't I'm yeah we're gonna talk we're gonna do, you know we'll figure it out but but man when I sat down and was like okay I'm gonna spend three hours and like put pen to paper I had all mm-hmm. these outlines and things within the first three paragraphs the story had gone a completely different direction than yeah, what yeah, I originally yeah. intended that's the beautiful <laughs> and the detrimental part yeah. of it but it's that. like anything else you gotta learn you gotta do it and you learn and you figure exactly. it out and like you start to get better at it so what's so great about the situations that we have well you just you know do such a good job of living so simply um, I try you try right but the you know lacrosse and like I have time you know like I have mm, yeah. been able now I'm 28 and I've been able to create yeah. a career and a steady income that still leaves me time to yeah. uh, take a three the week PLL trip. thinks they're giving you time to train but you're just being, <laughs> becoming a writer I'm doing both man I'm, <laughs> no I know it's like that that's and your leadership and all, all of those like the conglomeration of all those thoughts they is fit what's together. Gonna, yeah, you need to you need to I, I do a leadership ingest. academy with a kid and I listen to him and I learn something from trying to help him think through his problem mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I say it in a way in my head that doesn't even rhyme but sounds like rhythmatic to me and then yeah. I bring it home and I say, yeah, Can yeah, I yeah. put this lesson into a poem and then like I write a little song? Exactly. Like I'll turn on some jazz music and uh-huh. like you know, who knows? Like Well there's um, I, th- I was watching an interview with a, there was a, a writer, journalist, or it, like one of the greatest speakers, Christopher Hitchens, a British guy who's a journalist, very clever. But he, I mean, it's not a novel thought, but he, he very much considered speaking and writing to just be the same thing. Um, and, and in that way, like you said, people who do leadership or whatever, if people like your, your words... Yeah, then write them down. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the line between that is a keyboard. Yeah. So That's it, right. And, and I think that's what gave me a lot of confidence is I've always believed I was a good speaker. Mm-hmm. Like I, for whatever, when you, when you lead teams or you talk in front of locker rooms, like you get comfortable public speaking and uh-huh. I like to think I'm decent at taking my thoughts and choosing the right words to portray them, whatever. Um, but I, I've always sucked at grammar and spelling mm-hmm. and like things like that. So I was like, oh, well, I can't, you can send I can't stuff be a writer, <laughs> but that's like obviously not it. It's like if the thoughts are there and the information's good, like you uh-huh. figure it out how to like put it on the Not to mention, it, there's it. almost no grammatical rules in like modern writing. Well, that's why I'm so attracted to poetry too. Uh-huh. Because it's just phrases. There's no rules. Like what is a, what is a, there is no like, what is a poem? Like you, you. Poems don't have to rhyme. Like it, it, it's there's literally no rule in terms of what a poem mm-hmm. can or can't be. Now there's 
certain things that you know there's alliteration and there's certain things that are celebrated in poetry but at the end of the day like a poem can be kind of like a lacrosse player mm-hmm. like, it can be whatever it can go in people any like it people like it it doesn't matter how you write it or say it or whether it rhymes or whether it's a certain amount of stanzas like none of that matters mm-hmm. it just matters how it makes people feel yeah, when they read it exactly and what i think is so cool about it is like i could write a poem that to me is about something but then somebody else could read it and it could tell them something yeah. completely different. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, that's just like a cool, that's like the beauty of concision of being concise. If you, if you completely flesh everything yes. out, there's no, yes. and there's no, uh, stones unturned. It's like, what did you mean by that? Well, read the next sentence in a poem. You, you give glimpses really totally, but yeah. you do that by using less words. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah you're, exactly. I'm not going to really explain to you what I mean. Like you, fi- and so, and again, I'm getting, I'm getting a little out there, but to me, that is the value of art. Like, and, and this is, I, I've stolen this thought from, from Yoko Ono. Like I, I like following her and I, and, and some of her, her writing and she talks about like, you know, the, the best thing that art can do is challenge somebody else's creativity like Mm. great art makes somebody else think Think. for themselves so like if you write a poem and it makes no sense on the surface but it makes somebody think about like what's he trying to say here what's he trying to say here like you're inherently doing something good for that person because they're now thinking creatively about something exactly i like the idea of that so i like i like the crypticness of songwriting or poetry and everybody has had songs that speak to them Uh but you don't know what the hell the songwriter and or artist that's why songs are um, they resonate with more people because you can have ambiguity they can mean different things exactly so like a book especially like modern movies and books the fact that they end so well uh, more movies like Everyone wants an answer and a wrapped up thing, and usually they want a happy ending. And right. any anything where it's like like you know the end of the movie Inception, where the the drape, uh, the top is left spinning exactly, and it's like, well, what There's happened? What wobble. happened? Then you get on Google. What what did he exactly? Intend? <laughs> yeah. Two dozen people who have their own theories, and that's the beauty of it yes. is that like yes. interpret it as you may. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm ending this with giving you this Stephen King book on writing cool um, the main reason I'm doing it is because if you don't write the book that you talked about now there's evidence that you're a fraud okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond that it's a very basic approach to writing that doesn't try to say that there's a special formula um, it and Stephen King is very um, he doesn't hesitate to admit that he can't explain what he writes right he can yeah look at it and say I've written this but he doesn't think that that book is an answer to a formula to write he very much respects the unexplainable creative process towards the end of a story and he he touches a lot on the fact that he doesn't know where the story's gonna go and like he says the story takes him here and like like basically he speaks as a story as an entity outside of his own uh, intention really yep Um, but I was gonna give you a poetry book uh, Charles Bukowski poetry book, but my girlfriend was like, "That's mine." So, uh, but it's almost better <laughs> right, that I did. Yeah, Shay, why'd you do that? But because I don't want you copying anyone else's poetry. That's right. And, and, and this is, and we're, we're going to end up with a five-hour podcast. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I mentioned I had a chance to meet somebody who makes music, and recently who uh-huh. I really admired, and he asked me like, "Well, what poets do you read?" And I, I was like, you know, honestly, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. And before I was, I was going to continue to say like my favorite writer is Paulo Coelho, who mm-hmm. Paulo started as a songwriter for his whole career. And then, and so he, you know, I, I like to think he writes with, there's poetry influence. He writes kind of with flow, whatever. So I have, maybe I have one 
inspiration as far as that. But before I could even get into that, he stopped me. He was like, that's good. Yeah. Like you hear, you know, you meet people exactly. that say like, I want to write songs or I want to make music. Oh, well, who do you listen to? Well, I'm like this, this, and this. And it's like, well, then how are you ever going to come up yeah. with anything original? The like, minute you admire too hard, you're a disciple.